0: Steve and Kevin review Modern Horizons for vintage on episode 91 of So Many Insane Plays. Welcome to episode 91 of So Many Insane Plays, our Modern Horizons set review. I'm Kevin Crohn with Steven Menendian. Hi everyone. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, you can tweet us at ManyInsanePlays, email us at SomanyInsanePlaysPodcast at gmail.com, or leave feedback on Eternal Central, MTGCast, or TheManaDrain.com. For announcements this episode, we don't have too much news since we released our prior episode so recently, but we do have one really one real doozy here. And that (laughs) is that since our last recording, Wizards has officially released the plan to implement the London Mulligan full stop. Ian Duke posted an article on the mothership on June 3rd. And the 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 topic sentence is, with the release of Corset 2020, we'll be introducing a new mulligan system for all competitive magic formats. He goes on to explain that it is the London Mulligan as we know it, no changes mechanically to it. And he goes on to talk about their impressions of it, their testing, the reasons why they would implement a new mulligan, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There's no, in my opinion, major surprises here. And for us Eternal players, especially Vintage and Legacy there's actually some they pay some lip service I would say to vintage online and legacy as well but I found Ian's um commentary on vintage to be a little bit glossed over I would say let's uh, let's
1: let's back up for a second I want to yeah. I, I want so there's a there's a lot there but <laughs> I want to start with what you said that you weren't surprised with this announcement w- why was that
0: well from the beginning I expected the London Mulligan to be implemented I mean It is a net positive for Standard and uh, Limited play, and it has almost none of the risks that we have in Vintage in Standard and Limited. And Magic, for lack of a better term, is Standard and Vintage, meaning the vast majority of the Magic that they develop for, booster packs are developed for Limited, right? Sets are developed for Standard, (laughs) our current review notwithstanding. So it's no surprise that something that is a net positive for... I don't know what something in the high 80s or 90s percent of magic is probably going to be implemented. And they've made statements to the effect on multiple policy fronts in the past about how banned and restricted changes are how they can regulate older non-rotating formats. And that's so that's what I expected. And that's what we're going to get.
1: I don't disagree with anything you just said. And, and I think that, uh, I think that you're right in terms of the relative importance of limited and standard but I th- I was a little bit surprised simply because I expected them to do a little bit more testing. Um mm. now obviously obviously there's different forms of data gathering with respect to this uh this rule. Um one is to implement it on Magic Online which they had already done and it would have been odd and unlikely for them to say we want to do a second round of testing post-war. So from August 1st to August 20th, we're going to implement the London Mulligan rule on Vintage and you know MTGO, and then we're going to collate that data and then decide what to do. That would have been strange. But it seems to me that they could have at least evaluated the impact of war a little bit further and maybe done some more higher-level data gathering, like doing another PT or whatever it's called, Mythic Championship, Magic Fest, um, with the London Mulligan just to collect a little more data. So I think what surprised me is not the decision to implement it across all formats, but the speed with which that decision was made. Wizards is not known yeah. for being particularly speedy when it comes <laughs> to making decisions. It takes a long time to design a set, right? Now, Absolutely. I, I think that the, the only thing that probably would have persuaded them to pause or, or maybe even implement or adopt different mulligan rules across formats is if during that test period, the bottom fell out of Vintage or Legacy, like what if the format completely transformed in a truly negative way then i think it would have been a more difficult question right so imagine they found just think about it this way huge positive for unlimited strong positive for standard um huge negative for legacy enormous negative n- negative for vintage that's a tough choice right because you're doing something that benefits most formats but harms deeply harms you know acutely harms a few formats, or rather smaller formats in the sense of player base. But if you have basically a, a small net negative for Vintage based upon their data, and maybe a small net negative for Legacy, then that's not really a hard decision, right? I think that's that's why it's not surprising, but I think that the speed with which the decision was made was surprising. I didn't expect June 3rd there to be kind of a final decision on this. Um, you, I have a couple other points. You, You mentioned, well, you mentioned they give lip service to, to vintage and legacy. I think it's a li- I think you're being a little unfair there. But let me before <laughs> before I dive into that, do you have any reaction to what I just said?
0: You make a great point. The speed at which they've done this is a bit surprising. There are a number of people who were on record and I think it was pretty widely understood that the test of the London Mulligan at the Mythic Championship London in modern was a bit corrupted due to the fact that that event uniquely had pre-published deck lists. Mm. which influenced both the metagame and the in-match play, mm. meaning that the it, the mulligan decisions were even um, more impactful because everyone knew their opponent's deck after round one, I think, uh, in game one. And so that amplifies the effect of mulliganing over your most normal Magic right. tournaments to a lot of people that rendered that test somewhat meaningless. Now, I wouldn't go quite that far, but the point is, is that To have just one test, albeit for a large, important tournament, and three weeks worth of Magic Online data, which included a new set release, I agree with you that the amount of data that they had to work with was fairly small, a little bit suspect, and could definitely have been improved with additional testing.
1: We don't need to get into a complete analysis of the London Mulligan. We have our last couple of episodes, so we had an episode earlier this year that was exclusively on the London Mulligan. Now, we recorded that episode and conduct our our analysis before we'd actually experienced it because it had just been announced as undergoing a trial run. And it had not yet been permitted on Magic Online, nor had we played in any or prepared for any paper events at the point in which we recorded that. Um, In our most recent episode, we did a data analysis, a deep dive into the spring 2019 metagame that included a specific segment analysis on the format during the London Mulligan. And my Mm -hmm. overall assessment was that, well, just to summarize in in the earlier episode we did, not the more recent one, my assessment was that I was cautiously optimistic about the London Mulligan. That I thought it would help lower tier decks more than, you know, or mid-tier decks more than the top tier decks. Um, and, pr- and that on the whole, I think it probably hurts the relative standing of harm slash hurts the relative standing of Xerox decks in the format. Because Xerox's inherent advantage is through card selection, and the Mulligan, the London Mulligan, is card selection, but at the front end. So mm-hmm. I think I, I saw that all as a good thing. You know, um, I think the data has me a little bit more skeptical. Um, I think we saw, I don't mind PO transitioning more to combo. I don't mind combo being better. Uh, I think that's actually healthy for vintage in some ways, um, especially for a vintage format that for so long has just been basically stacks, rather workshop aggro and Xerox stacks. But I did see, we did see a, a somewhat unhealthy reduction in the overall diversity and format balance in those three weeks. Now, three weeks is not a particularly large sample size. So, um, my, my opinion is, is pretty mixed on the overall effects of the London Mulligan. And I think in the end, the London Mulligan is going to be more of a long term thing in the short term. It's not nearly as important as War of the Spark. In terms of shaping or influencing the metagame, the vintage metagame, like the the effects of it are going to be difficult to to disentangle from the effects of war of the spark.
0: And, Absolutely.
1: And I think that conflation is going to be really dangerous. So we'll, we'll we'll it's something we'll have to evaluate over time. Now, turning to your point about uh, lip service, um, you know, I I really like Ian Duke's uh, both his the service he provides to wizards but also the way in which he writes and, and explains um, their decisions. I thought that this was a really well-written article, like, uh, you know, above average. And there are a lot of well-written articles on The Mothership, but this one in particular, I thought was well-written. That doesn't mean I agree with everything in it, but hmm. there are a couple things I want to highlight. The first is that you you call it lip, lip service. They, you know, obviously, if they're going to even do an implement, a test run or dry run or whatever you want to call it, they have thought very carefully about it. The mulligan, right? And they knew the pros and the cons. They even linked to Sam Stoddard's old article where they had, he talked about why they had considered this. There's a whole paragraph just on, on vintage and legacy. And they did, he says they, the win rate of dredge did not markedly change, even with a greater chance of finding Bazaar, a Baghdad in the opening hand. Again, this is perhaps counterbalanced by other decks also more reliably finding their sideboard cards. So to me, that's actually important. Um, he says we also saw the metagames were able to adjust even better than expected. Um, and he, he also has said it, it, relatedly that he thinks that the, fo- the format is relatively healthy. Um, so they actually looked pretty closely at not only the overall metagame, but specific archetypes that were, let's say, the center of community concern. That's, that's more to, than lip service. That's not like just said, they're not just saying we looked at it and everything's okay. They actually gave some descriptive analysis there, Kevin.
0: Yeah. Well, all of what you said is absolutely true. I have I think a bit of an issue with how the how the issue was framed in light of what we actually know about those three weeks, especially the challenges. Yeah. But I will admit that this is one place where we the the consumer are at a disadvantage because we don't have the luxury of seeing all of the league decks right. for that time period and how things right. were going. And although Ian does make reference to Dredge's win rate, we can't really understand which definition of win rate he means. I assume he means
1: match win percentage vis-a-vis other decks.
0: That's what I assume he means. Right. That's a fair assumption, I would say. But we also don't know the scope, right? We don't know if he's including all league matches, for example, during that time period. We don't know how sophisticated their metrics are on that front. So there's a chance that there was more going on behind the scenes that we, the customers, will ever we'll ever know during that time period. But we also recognize that we must acknowledge, and this is the part that, that concerns me about the focus here, we must acknowledge the fact that's twofold. One, War the Spark. This test spanned a new set release, and as you said, it's one of the more impactful sets in the history of the format, as far yeah. as we can tell. That simply must be addressed. There's no two ways about it. You can't have a, a, <laughs> an explanation of this test without even mentioning that. In my opinion, yeah. And also, I mean, this well, and also the emphasis on dredge as an example belies, in my opinion, a lack of appreciation for what was really going on during this time period. Yes, dredge is a concern to be observed, but it's fairly obvious to me that the bigger issue is the draw seven based, uh, Narset based po, decks. PO deck. And how many Narsets there were in the first possible <laughs> to challenge top eight. How many Narsets and Carnes, ulti- ultimately, there were at the first opportunity. And how it, since then, has gotten completely worse, right? You, you t- this article must have been written after um, more time had uh, uh, you know, elapsed, right? He didn't just write it the day after. And he, so he must see how the, the the wheels were set in motion by War of the Spark and the, on the third week of the London test and how everything has gotten... Uh, even more dire since with respect to war's impact.
1: Well, this is not a, a, an anomalous coincident set of events in vintage history. We have a, a pattern of, of coinciding events that produce uh, um, unexpected and often undesirable outcomes. I'll give you two. Um, Time Vault errata is, after a long co- contestation, finally fixed and restored to its original functionality. Mm-hmm. And not more than... I don't know, less than a month later, Shards of Alara comes out with Tezzeret the Seeker, right? So you've got a rule change, which is ostensibly done in a vacuum, or at least one that is not connected with set design, right? Yet these two things, like, if either one had happened, it would have been fine, but happening together, it was transformative, right? The other example is the restoration of Flash. Flash, of course, is very powerful. But then you put Future Sight out less than a month after Flash comes out, and suddenly you've given an Uber boost to the engine of the Flash deck by giving it packed of uh summoners packed, packed of negation. You know, it's like, what right. are you, what are you doing? You know, it's like <laughs> it, it, why are these things happening at the same time?
0: Well, um, so, and the, so the the equivalent to that would be someone writing an article after the fact that says, We've observed that, you know, the errata on flash is no kind of an issue.
1: <laughs> right. Right, and you. But you would say that, yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I mean, you're, in other words, what you're saying: if someone had written an article about Time Vault before Shards of Alara, saying Time Vault's fine, and then the article is published and Shards of Alara is out, <laughs> it had just come out. And it, yeah, yes. I, I understand what you're saying. Yes. Um, but but my point is that ostensibly, these kinds of rule changes are. It's a weird thing, right? Because ostensibly, they're supposed to be designed. Um, you know, outside of the evaluation of the metagame. And yet one of the considerations that shaped the decision or at least informed the decision to uniformly adopt this was an evaluation of the metagame, <laughs> right? So there's a, yeah. that's, that's what you're pointing out. And I think that's a completely fair point. Um, but I do think that the core concern that dredge would just be ridiculously overpowered was really is, is, tr- is a concern that would exist regardless or irrespective of of narset and karn war right i mean and and that concern was something that was addressed by metagame reaction like we did not see i think we saw a little bit more dredge in the top eight. i don't remember the data off the top of my head but it certainly wasn't like dredge surging to the like four of the metagame in any enormous way right it was just a, a boost so
0: that's right there was a slight boost in dredge during that time period except for the the first week of war of course where there was no dredge in the top eight
1: right now, there's one other thing I wanted to point out before we move on, Um, and that is that in our podcast on the London Mulligan, which folks should go listen to, I think it was one of our better podcasts, um, I had floated the notion that perhaps Magic should have different Mulligan rules for different formats. And you were a little bit resistant, maybe a little bit more than resi- a little resistant to that notion, but I I did make the case for it. I said, look, you have different banned and restricted lists. There have been different... uh mulligan rules to the history of the game, and old-school formats certainly adopt different rule sets. Like, some old-school formats use mana burn, you know? Mm-hmm. So, the normal rule for un- reason for uniformity in magic rules is administrative simplicity. But I said that that's really not a very persuasive argument in today's, uh, let's say, pantheon of formats. And the reason it's not persuasive is because there are so many inherent differences between formats not least of which is different ban and restricted lists but also different emphasis of rules areas different mechanics that have more salience and less salience if you're a judge you have to know these things you know like judging vintage is totally different than judging standard such that the administrative cost i don't think that like you actually save much if anything through through uniform mulligan rules and and to that point that's actually something specifically ian duke said I want to quote him. He said, some members of the community have suggested introducing the London Mulligan Rule on a format-by-format basis, but as designers, we feel strongly that having one unified Mulligan Rule for all of Magic is the right path forward. Many Magic players try out a variety of different formats over their lifetime, and having inconsistent Mulligan Rules across the formats would be a substantial added complexity cost. Um, I'm going to stop there. I think, th- first of all, let me just say, this is a, I think it's actually a beautiful statement. I think he's absolutely right that magic players try a variety of different formats over their lifetime. They cycle through formats, and you know, as you progress kind of through formats, you learn them. I mean, people go to you know, Commander and you know, uh, Modern and so on and so forth. But here's the thing. As, when players do that, they have to learn different things about magic anyway. They have to learn, you know, if you're a standard player and you've never encountered Dredge or Storm, you have to learn Storm. If you're going to play with Flusterstorm, right? Um, Mm -hmm. You have to learn a different banned and restricted list. When you switch from modern to legacy, you have to know these things. So there's, I just, I don't think that the admit, the, what he called the added complexity cost is substantial. I just don't think it's substantial. Now you can agree or disagree as to whether the additional complexity cost is worth bearing for the benefit of the format. But I wholeheartedly disagree that the cost is substantial. I just don't think there's any way we can say that is truly substantial, given how much rules have changed. And I mean, think about it. If you haven't been playing, one of the facets of Vintage is that you cannot play for a year, dust off your cards, and go into a tournament, right? And all you have to do is maybe adjust to the band and restrict the list. You have to look it up and see what's, what's there. Mm-hmm. But the truth of the matter is, you have to do more than that, because... The rules are changing, right? I mean, think about 6th edition rules, M10 rules, right? The the sideboard rules that have, cha- have changed recently. The rules are actually constantly changing. The trigger rules are just endlessly iterating. iterative. So I, I think in terms of all the things a player has to know to go into a tournament, a competitive tournament, like, frankly, you know, um, having Vintage use a different mulligan rule is not substan- a substantial cost. Let me stop there. I mean, I think I've made the case as strong as I can. What do you, what do you think of that?
0: Uh, in general, I, I completely agree with you. And I just want to be clear that, that any objection that I had to that notion when we first recorded it was a reflection of how I fe- I believed they felt. I personally agree with you completely. There's just incredible amounts of complexity on all levels of the game, format by format. And this would be, in my opinion, a relatively minor blip on that scale. And, but I was supremely confident when we discussed this issue the first time that Ian's response here is how the R and D felt about it. So I'm with you. We don't need, <laughs> we don't need to, we don't need to bend over backwards on a complexity topic or axis when magic changes dramatically month to month. Yeah. That's just <laughs> the truth of it. They introduced new mechanics every set. They change, they just yes. changed an existing mechanic in proliferate in war of the spark. Huh. They just had an existing mechanic and changed how it works. Like, if that's not <laughs> complexity creep on the same scale as having a different mulligan in Vintage, I don't know what is. Right. In so fact, in there's fact, there's would- simply no way that this is <laughs> substantive, to your point.
1: Yeah, in fact, I would say it's actually simpler to keep Vintage and Legacy on the Paris mulligan. It's actually administratively simpler in that, in the sense that fewer players will be will be confused that that's not what they mean by administrative complexity they're talking about how you in, enforce and adjudicate of course <laughs> um Naturally. but but you know i it may actually be an an increased complexity cost but i'm just objecting to use of his word substantial there as a modifier <laughs> well that's I fair just, it's I, I don't think that it's substantial.
0: explanation that explanation also doesn't refer to the net increase in complexity in game that the london mulligan introduces right it's pretty widely understood uh, among competitive players. I think that a lot the London choices. Mulligan, yeah, creates yeah. an incredible amount of in-game complexity.
1: Right. Uh, which not having not, it would eliminate. That's obviously not what he's talking about. But the other
0: thing is, well, but I think that, it's worth talking about. Is my point? Sure.
1: Sure. But the notion that I want to focus on one other aspect of this: the notion that players s- cycle through a variety of formats. I think, which I think is true, when he calls out, actually, l- I think cuts in the opposite. direction. D- cuts, you know, it it supports the opposite conclusion. You know that if players do cycle through formats, that means they become accustomed to format level differences, right? Not yeah. inured to it. They become, they uh, understand and anticipate and expect it, which means that you know having a different Mulligan rule, I think, would be a reasonable question to inquire about, right? I mean, given just the number, if you were entering, if you were a new player to Vintage let's say you're a long-running modern player and you want to try vintage it's reasonable to ask like let's say two years from now you get you, you you get you've been playing for magic for five years and you go come into vintage it's reasonable to ask does vintage have the same mulligan rule I would ask it right you'd want to know and uh, so it's absolutely. not a, it's not a presumption it's a legitimate question and, and so I, I'd like to I, go ahead well this, the last point I just want to make is that um if it does make sense that players might expect there be to be different rules. Or more importantly, if different formats should have their own tailored mulligan rule, then the question isn't which of the mulligan rules is best for vintage, but which set of possible mulligan rules is best for vintage. And that's Mm. a much bigger and broader question and a much harder question to answer. And I don't think it's one we we should try and answer here, but (laughs) it is a very interesting question.
0: I'd like to point out, I think you may have said this, and we may have addressed it when we discussed the London Mulligan and this particular topic before, Magic already has multiple Mulligan rules across format. Yep. Commander and Two-Headed Giant have a different standard Mulligan than the rest of Magic do. Alpha 40 as well. (laughs) well, And to your point, if you factor in the diverse old-school formats, there are additional standards for Mulligans, which obviously they don't sanction, but is still relevant and part of the community. As a commander player, I am frequently want to sit down with a group of players, sometimes those that I've never met before, and one of the first questions is, what mulligan rules do we play by here? Exactly. (laughs) Right? It is To your point, it is exactly understood and expected by the players that there is some diversity on this front. Right.
1: Well, we don't need to beat a dead horse, but it is an interesting (laughs) topic. It's maybe something we can explore at a future point, especially as we observe and better understand the full bloom effects of the London mulligan in the future Mm -hmm. of Vintage.
0: And just for the sake of completeness for our audience, anyone who hasn't read the article, when can you use it? I'm quoting here. We'll be rolling out London Mulligan in all tabletop and digital expressions of magic with the release of Core Set 2020, starting with tabletop Core Set 2020 <laughs> pre-releases on July 5. That's July 5, 2019. The new Mulligan will be used for all play. It will become officially reflected in the comprehensive rules with the M20 rules update on July 12. Stores may opt to enact the new rule for regular REL or lower events, using including the Modern Horizons pre-release, that's this weekend, before the original rules change on July 5, to give players the opportunity to test. Arena and Magic Online will have slightly different dates, plus or minus a week, based on their update schedules. So 4th of July basically, that weekend. Well that's when we're all moving to the London Mulligan, but uh stores, local stores are welcome to have allow their players to test it beforehand at regular or lower REL.
1: Yeah, what I was actually going to say is I mean this just goes to show you the I mean to the points we've all made. Eternal Central has announced that effective immediately, uh it is adopting London Mulligan to all of its old school formats. So, really? <laughs> yeah. So, SCG Con which is this weekend will be using
0: it. Wow, that is dramatic and in my opinion a little sudden given that I think it has a powerful impact on old school where card selection is at a premium.
1: I do not disagree with you, but my point is, yeah, I mean, so, anyway.
0: Yeah. They're going to be different. You'll be
1: playing vintage with the Paris Mulligan and old school with the London Mulligan.
0: (laughs) um, Oh, that is is incredible. (laughs) Well, so that's a month from today as of this recording that London Mulligan goes official for everyone. So let's move on to our review of Modern Horizons. We like to start our review of new sets with a report card on our prior set review, but since Modern Horizons is not part of the regular schedule for booster pack sets, we don't have an equivalent set that is basically three months prior to provide here. So we're just going to get right into Modern Horizons, and we usually also start our set reviews by talking about the mechanics of a set, but since Modern Horizons is effectively Time Spiral 2, the mechanics discussion here is a little bit unusual there aren't yeah there aren't any new mechanics for this set full stop however this set returns to approximately 45 existing mechanics <laughs> <laughs> the the headliners and i'm getting this from matt Tabak's uh, mothership article about the, the set's mechanics the headliners are slivers a return to slivers snow the the, the <laughs> has he described it the third favorite super type of at least one R and D member, <laughs> which is funny. Changeling, <laughs> but a reminder that is when a creature has all creature types and cycling. Now, almost every other ma- uh, mechanic in Magic is represented in one way or another, including many many,
1: including Storm, yeah, and including
0: Dredge. many many vintage powerful <laughs> things like Storm and Dredge and Flashback and several others. Pitch spells are a big one. So there's a lot of mechanical ground here and a lot of things that are highly relevant to Vintage. We won't review them in any more detail than that, but we will point things out as we get through our review. So let's get into our first card. First up, Steve, this is one that you and I... It's ironic. A brand new card that you and I have been talking about for years. <laughs> Collect, collector <laughs> Oof. This is 1G, Creature Oof. It's a 2-2, and the text box says activated abilities of artifacts can't be activated. Now, longtime fans of the format and the show will recognize that text box as exactly the same as one null rod, which for obvious reasons is uh, a format staple and has been for years and we have been speculating for years about the expected printing of a bear that had null rod's text box. <laughs> bear, bear, null bear null rod, null rod. yep. <laughs> yeah. And here it is. We're finally at whether well, it's a brave new world, we have a bear null rod, finally. It's green. It has no other abilities. It's a two-two for two.
1: It is the apotheosis of the Lestray school. Mm-hmm. This is what the Lestray school has always wanted to have, and it it's finally arrived. Um, I I think that the the I'm going to use this word <laughs> that I think gets used too often incorrectly, but I think it is ironic. It's ironic that this moment has finally arrived, and I think this card is going to be received with a surprising degree of underwhelm. Yeah. I just I think that it, it's that's the problem is because it's it's arrival is has been so heralded, heralded and yet I think it's going to be dramatically underestimated. I think this card is is significant in in many many ways. I think its potential is enormous. I think it's potentially a tentpole. But we kind of have a deluge of this effect now. <laughs> With, with Stony Silence, that was really, really significant because you get an enchantment. It's harder to remove, harder to bounce, harder to deal with. Also, it's in white. Mm-hmm. But now with Karn giving asymmetric Null Rod, like Null Rod just does not look quite as enticing as it once did. <laughs> <laughs> and, and being a creature at this moment where there's so many bolts and other forms of removal, even, even less so. But still, um, as a green bear, this is the card that the Lestrange School decks have basically wanted since nineteen ninety four, <laughs> and it's finally mm-hmm. come, finally here. Um, it, it, you know, it would have been wonderful if it had been here in in two thousand and seven instead of you know twenty nineteen, but it's here, and um, it's a welcome a welcome addition to the format.
0: How can we possibly evaluate any card during this podcast tonight, <laughs> given that? We've got, we're still experiencing the upheaval that is War of the Spark, and we're about to experience the the remixing of upheaval that is the London Mulligan, when we've had exactly one week of that to demonstrate the effects of on Magic Online, and that's going to be the majority of the experience and exposure of all these cards. We're just going to (laughs) have to, I guess we're just going to have to fall back on fundamentals of what we know about the format and Vintage, and what little data we have that's specifically relevant and extrapolate strongly. I mean...
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's enormously difficult to make precise predictions on a card like this. It, it just is. But it's, it's not impossible. Mm-hmm. And it's certainly not beyond, you know, the level of difficulty we r- routinely encounter for cards, I think. So, oh, and, um, and there's one I other factor,
0: can... too, which is that the format is currently strongly, strongly dominated by artifact-based strategies.
1: Right, which makes this even yeah. stronger, I think. So, I mean, that's one of the things that makes this so impressive is this can be played basically on turn one against P.O. and Shops and be immensely effective. And it can also be played with Cavern of Souls. It can be played with Elder Spirit Guide. Um, you know, it's interesting. If you were going to make a, a creature Null Rod, which color would you put in it? I think green is the right color, not white. I, I don't know what you, how strongly you feel about that, but I think it's the right color. I think it's
0: the right color, yeah. It's a color wheel Yeah, question. absolutely. Question. Green is, is far more distasteful toward artifacts
1: um you know argothian our, our pixies you know is what <laughs> you know the old anti juggernaut card from antiquities but this is just on a different level um i think we have to just think about how does this attack the format and i think it attacks it profoundly um obviously this is going to go into any hate bears deck ever built <laughs> so we can start with that <laughs> you know any cavern hate bears deck this is immensely and immediately
0: useful although it's, it doesn't it's, play very well with cavern because it's a it's <laughs> That's yeah, by design.
1: Not not great. You're right. Right. Still um, relevant to your point, but still, it's it's a yeah, it's a hate bears card. Um, and just I mean, it, this would be so good in those green, white, black hate bears decks from 2008. Right. You know, this is exactly what they wanted. You know, with Gadocteague and 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 uh, Kasali Pride Mage, and this is just oh my god, this is great. Um, <laughs> yeah, basically, I, basically I still any think
0: hate bears deck in vintage history, really. Including the modern yeah. iteration.
1: I still think this is just, I mean, with the London Mulligan, we're poised to see PO come back in a big way. This also just cripples a lot of the Karn decks. You know, the Karn deck is using Grim Monolith and stuff like, and K- Key Vault. Mm-hmm. This cripples that. So uh, uh, you can't um, Ballista it, you can't Trike it, mm-hmm. uh, you can't uh, Powder Keg or Engineer Explosives it or anything like that. You know, what's the, not the explosives, but what's yeah, the, the ratchet other keg? The ratchet yep. bomb it? The only way to deal with it is that land. Blast right? zone, yeah. Which we <laughs> mentioned in zone. our
0: last set review how relevant is blast zone in the face of uh, Karn uh, being an a asymmetric null rod. This one is going to be omnipresent in the format. You might see an uptick in blast zone for that reason alone.
1: Right. Um, I also love this in, um, you know, we'll see how it goes, but I, I could certainly see this being played. In in rug or Xerox decks of that ilk, I mean that if they play, you know this is actually a reason you don't need white, mm-hmm. right? One of the, if one of the reasons to use white, splash white, you could put this in your sideboard of the rug deck. Absolutely. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> and
0: given the given what we expect of the post London post war metagame, I won't be surprised to see this in many main decks.
1: Yeah. So the the places that exist are hate bears decks, and they can be of any kind of configuration. I and mean, we can be existing hate bears decks, or it could be mm-hmm. new ones. Uh, it could be green-red, it could be green-white, it could be green-white-black, you know, it could be 4-5 color. Um, it's going to be I'd have a home there. It's also going to have a home in, I think, some Xerox decks.
0: You're talking about um, Rug primarily, I would say, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. Um, it's definitely going to have a home in Bug. But
1: Bug? For, oh, mm-hmm. God, yes. Yeah, Bug. It, it's, it, it really is a Lestray School card, yep. though, which means that it's fundamentally in that axis of hate-bearers-fish-type decks.
0: It's going to have a home in uh, Survival, of course.
1: Yes, definitely. At least as a single, at least if not not, multiples, more of. Yeah.
0: Here's an interesting one. Something that we didn't really foresee as part of the format is the recent trend in toward oath. Right? There's been a strong uptick in the presence of oath in the last couple of weeks. I think as a conceptual, but also a pretty good functional foil to workshop-based decks being so prevalent. There's this historical standard of oath being good against shops. Right? Well, right or wrong, there's been a lot of it lately. Would you think that an Oath deck going up against a Shop's deck would consider swapping Oaths for these (laughs) post-sideboards?
1: Probably not. (laughs) Probably not. But it is certainly conceivable that in one of the Brian Kelly type Oath Mm -hmm. lists that you might. But I think the answer is probably
0: not. I think you're probably right. But still, that is... So between Bug and Rug, which are two Xerox or (laughs) Xerox-adjacent homes, Survival, which is quite popular these days, and all the various hate bears decks, which numerically don't add up to that much, but are still relevant. We've got this, this cloud of decks that have access to green and definitely want this effect for the two most common matchups in the format these days, or, or the expected uh, post-London days. I think that bodes pretty well for this card. The flip side is, how effective are those decks going to be at actually breaking into top 8s? Do you think the presence of this card... Yeah. means that they are going to be able to buck the trend of these draw 7 PO decks or these ridiculous 7 and 8 card decks. Well, it can't hurt their chances, <laughs> right? Branded.
1: I mean, I mean the Lestray school has been in a in a long period of dormancy. You know, it's ha- it has these moments where it kind of emerges. you'll get like a noble fish deck, right? That pops up or a green white that bears deck that hate bears deck that appears in a succession of top 8s. But in the Magic online era, it's basically been a dormant strategy. With a few exceptions, we've se- the survival deck has basically been, I think, the resurgence in that kind of de- that strategy. I think this is going to be a big boost to survival. I think it's going to be a big boost to hate bears. I think we're going to see an uptick. I do. I agree. I- it also could be a, su- a-, a card in lands. I guess. Oh sure. But yes, I think we're going to see a- an uptick in 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 them. I don't. I don't. I think it's going to be non-trivial increase in top eight appearances. Yes. Do I think it's going to be you know the deck to beat, probably not. But I do think it's going to be simply because the, the the Xerox school, the the Comer school, is so good against the Lestray school in general, with survival maybe accepted. Um, but I think th- you know, look, look, we had a survival deck in the top eight last year. Would you be would you be shocked if a deck with this won a tournament?
0: No, not at all.
1: I wouldn't be, not at all. But I think we're going to see non trivial numbers of these deck these in top eights. So I think you know, a significant in- uptick is is certainly. Um, reasonable to expect.
0: So it's really, really difficult for us to predict, as we've uh, obviously alluded to, uh, the the nature of the format by the time we're coming to review our results here. In the meantime, though, in the time between now and when London goes legal in a month, this tool is a very useful tool at fighting the active Surge in Karn deck. Rug Xerox is adapting still, since it is basically a metagame deck, and this is a key element of that you might see shifts in, uh, in deck construction otherwise to allow for this. This card being two mana uh, promotes the play of all five Moxen, for example. So Yeah, that,
1: but you could also play with Spirit Guides like Survival abso- does. Well, for for Survival,
0: absolutely. I was thinking more from a Rug Xerox standpoint or from a Bug standpoint. Playing this on turn one is so maximally powerful in the matchups where it's needed that you could see an increase in Moxen played for that reason, which is a bit of a fundamental shift in how Rug Xerox is constructed, for example. But all of that notwithstanding, I agree with you. I wouldn't be surprised to see two to three decks with access to this card in every top eight for the next quarter, <laughs> basically. I mean, I don't think it's unreasonable to say that we could see eight appearances per month of this on average in the, in the uh, challenges. Granted, right. lots, of, lots of changes yeah, here in the format and with the mulligan rules, but I don't think that's unreasonable.
1: No, I think that's probably a little bit on the higher end, but that's, cert- I, I agree with you. I think that's totally reasonable. Once
0: London goes, there will be a push by deck developers and players and the regulars in the, in the challenges to push the format, right? Given that it's fully accepted, people will be devoting a lot of time and energy to how to break the London mulligan. The practical result of that is a lot of energy is going to go away from metagame hate cards like this. Not to say no one will play it, it's just that people this won't is- be focused on this as a way to push the I format. I don't
1: think it's. I, I don't, I just want to be clear. This to me is not a metagame hate card. This null rod is a, is is a fundamental pillar of the format. Yes.
0: What I mean to say is that when new doors open up, people aren't focused on how to stop other players going through those doors. (laughs) They're focused on how to go through the doors themselves, right? There's going to be a lot of energy focused on draw seven PO versus carn shops when London hits. It's not to say this card will be unplayed. I just expect there to be a diminishment of it. If we're seeing two per week going into that, I would expect it to fall down, to your point. So yeah, I think it's reasonable to estimate that we get about eight per month, but then as soon as this month for the next three or four weeks, well, actually, this isn't live next week, so we're only going to get two or three weeks of that, and then we're probably going to see it go down to one or zero for a while. So that means that my estimate to approximately three months from now, when we re- look at our report card, my estimate is about a a 4 plus a 4 plus, it's about a 12.
1: I think that's about exactly right. I don't think your pattern, the oscillation is right, but I think your conclusion is right. I think that's the range. <laughs> what would you say? I think well, it's what a would you say the, 10 to 18 card range in the next three months. So you eights. don't think
0: London is going to diminish the representation of this card in top eights like I'm proposing?
1: <sighs> no, I, I okay. don't. I think, um, I think it's like the dredge effect, right? Dredge gets, like, the the mox decks get better, and then this gets better to counteract them. Well, as a, um, as a reaction, I, I would agree with be you, a bit, but my- I also think it's a little bit more of a slow burn. I don't think this is just going to pop out to eight, like, in the next couple of weeks.
0: Okay. Well, that's fair. So I'm going to go with 12. What would you like to go with?
1: That's a, almost exactly what I would have <laughs> predicted. Um, I'm just deciding whether I want to take the under or over, honestly. Um... I think it depends on when we are to make this prediction. So we'll probably be doing this. Will, we, will our report card be before or after Champs? It will be. Champs is August, October thirty be first. Before, yeah. before. All right. I'll take the under. I'll go eleven. <laughs> All right. I hate to be under on
0: this. But, well, I mean, you
1: know, I think twelve is about right. Actually,
0: yeah, and that's fair. There's no two ways about it, though. Our comparatively um, conservative estimate for this card is not a reflection on its quality. It's a reflection on the upheaval all. and the strangeness and the dynamicism of the metagame these days. <laughs> this is, by by no uncertain terms, a long-term staple for vintage.
1: <laughs> you know what? I'm going to take the over. I'm going to take the over. And the reason is because I actually think, on balance, being a creature is better than being an artifact for this effect.
0: Yeah, I'm with you there.
1: I think, I think the fact that it can be bolted, but the P.O. decks and the Karn decks just have no way of dealing with it. I mean, the P.O. decks are loaded to bear with Hercules kinds of effects. Yeah. They it's have, a good point. You know, fragmentized Hercules cannot deal with they're, this. They're reliant
0: on repeals like if they're even playing them.
1: And, and more than that, I actually think being the creature is even more of an advantage because then you can attack into those Planeswalkers. Yeah. So I think I think that being the creature is a significant advantage, not a, not a minor one. Um, and the liabilities are not as significant because against the Bolt decks, you don't really need the Null Rod effect. Yep. So... Um, i think i'm gonna take the over i think this card is just a big a big i think it's hugely significant
0: yeah, i think you you're exactly right
1: i'm taking i'm gonna go 14 know what i'm gonna go more <laughs> i'm gonna go seriously um i'm gonna say i'm gonna say 15
0: all right we shall see
1: and that's that's assuming our report card is before vintage changes. which it will be so
0: okay all right let's move on and talk about goblin engineer one red for a creature goblin artificer it's a one two When Goblin Engineer enters the battlefield, you may search your library for an artifact card, put it into your graveyard, then shuffle your library. One, sorry, red tap sacrifice and artifact colon return target artifact card with converted mana cost three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. This is a fun mixture of Entomb and Goblin Welder. What do you think?
1: (laughs) Uh, It's a cool card. I mean, this is this is a really cool card. Goblin Welder, it's hard for, I think, contemporary vintage players to appreciate just how dominant that card was for so yeah. long. I mean, really. It was like the best creature in the format by far. Um, I mean, this card is cool. It, it's a Goblin Tutor, and you can, you know, basically get a Goblin Welder effect, well, it's not quite Goblin Welder. Um, but the Tutor effect combined with like the partial Welder effect is pretty nifty. Pretty nifty. It's
0: worth noting a couple of things. One is this plays very well with Goblin Welder. It's worth noting that the Entomb is not restricted on mana cost, so you can get a large artifact if you want and put it in your graveyard. It doesn't have to be a small one that this thing can reanimate. And third, there are plenty of, plenty of role playing, powerful artifacts in the format that cost three or less that would be very useful to weld into play with this card. The Pitting Needles, Sorceress, Spyglass, um, Powder Keg. Crucible of Worlds, Ensnaring Bridge, the list is quite long. Tormod's Crypt, look at Graffdager's Cage, Good look points. at all of the artifacts that these Karn decks are playing in their sideboards right now, right, to get a flavor for that. You can't get the big things like Slaver and Sundering Titan and, I don't know, Tr- Triskelion or whatever. You can't get the big things that Welder used to get, but there's a lot of silver bullets here. Hmm. As it stands, I'm not sure if there's a deck in Vintage that wants this but you could make a yeah, that's the you problem. could make a case for there, something like grixis thieves
1: yeah the problem is there just is no um there really isn't a thirst deck in the format anymore nor do workshop decks play splash red <laughs> those are the two obvious potential homes for this and it doesn't
0: synergize with basically um, anything in survival unfortunately no yeah i think you could build a somewhat it could yeah, be a, a somewhat yeah. artifact heavy grixis list similar to thieves that used this card and you were frequently getting Time Vault with it and you had main deck Pithing Needle, right, for the metagame or something. There's, there's something mm-hmm. to that, but it's a little bit low power as compared to many, many other options, especially given the, that we've got Narset and the London Mulligan coming. Agreed. I'm inclined to just give us a zero and and say, hey, somebody break it and prove me wrong, but the, the simple truth is, is that it's slow for its effect, and the kind of silver bullets that you need to get, like Null Rod or Pithing Needle, are the kind of things you really need online. And even if you played this on one, you might not have enough time <laughs> if you're reanimating that card on turn two.
1: Yeah, I agree with you entirely. I, I, I just think that it's hard to figure out where this fits in vintage. If this, was, if this set wasn't so just completely loaded with vintage playables, this might be intriguing. But otherwise, it's just going to be completely marginalized. Yeah,
0: yeah. So would you like to go zero as well? I am. Okay. Sorry, Goblin Engineer. We look forward to seeing you again in the future. Next up is just this this salad of abilities that is Urza, Lord High Artificer. Two blue-blue legendary creature, human artificer, Urza's a 1-4. When Urza, Lord High Artificer, enters the battlefield, create a 0-0 zero, zero, colorless construct artifact creature token with, quote, this creature gets plus one plus one for each artifact you control. Then, tap an untapped artifact you control, colon, add you. That is one single blue mana. Then five colorless or sorry, five generic colon, shuffle your library, then exile the top card. Until end of turn, you may play that card without paying its mana cost. Steve, we used to joke, but this is just another one of those incredibly simple (laughs) and easy to evaluate cards that really rolls off the tongue. (laughs) Yeah. I don't even know where to begin. Let's let's do a little bit of diligence. This mana cost is Traditionally quite playable in Vintage. It's the same as Chase the Mind Sculptor. Chase the yeah. Mind Sculptor. However, it's worth pointing out that Chase the Mind Sculptor might be at a historic low at the moment.
1: Yeah, it might actually be unplayable. Or <laughs> in nearly the so. Of,
0: yeah, recent events. However, th- there's a precedent for this artif- This mana f- cost being playable. If you bake in the assumption that any deck playing this is going to be an artifact-heavy deck, the sort of deck that has a mana crypt and a Talarian Academy, then that makes the, the mana cost a little more reasonable in my estimation. There's one thing that stands out to me here, amongst, above everything else, <laughs> the complexity of the card notwithstanding. And that's the fact that this lets you produce mana with your Moxen through a Null Rod. Or, for maybe more contemporary yes. reference, a Collector Oath. Yes. Which is huge.
1: That, that to me, it is. It really so is. So, through
0: a Karn, uh, you know, Great Creator, through a Collector's Oath, through a Stony Silence, through a Null Rod, all four of those permanents could be in play, and you could still tap your Mox Emerald for, for you. <laughs> which right. is quite quite powerful and quite valuable and speaks to one of the Achilles' heels of these heavy artifact-based decks.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's a fantastic point. I mean, the fact that this can come down and you can generate mana, and not only that, but you can tap a Mox Opal with it just by itself yeah. in place. Or a Blue. Sensei's Divining Top tap, and the
0: construct that this yeah. card creates. Right. So this card right. gives you a discount off of itself the turn it comes it, in.
1: Yeah, It, it net, net cost is three yep. automatically.
0: And it turns on all those artifacts that you might have in play that don't normally tap for mana to your point. So this, I, I this is pretty pl- synergistic. The with playability top, of it
1: huge. The, the, the playability of this card is going to turn upon the utility of its last ability though. How useful is this? Shuffle? That's an interesting shuffle. And that's an interesting assessment. That's really what
0: I don't entirely agree with you. Though. Right. I think that, okay. I think there are versions of PO that would play this card, even if it didn't have its third activated ability or its third ability. I think that... Just because blue is such a bottleneck? Just because blue is a bottleneck, it creates material. This makes two permanents. Well, granted, you can only bounce one of them, but it creates material in the form of mana. It makes additional mana permanents, like Sensei's Divining Top, like Voltaic Key, right? A Naked Key just is a mock Sapphire with this in play, and so it right. makes clunky draws with lots of those effects even better. It means Top can tap itself to, to, to look, right? That's fun. Yeah. That's a pretty narrow use case. Well, let me snow. ask
1: you... S- well, let's assume that I'm right for the moment, just for the okay. sake of argument. What would you pay to be able to shuffle your library, flip a card, and be able to play that card for free? What's a fair cost for that in vintage, or a competitive cost for that? Rather? A compet-
0: I think I think it would be very, very good at three. I think yes, it's. I agree. I think it's in vintage is probably fairly costed at four, and then five you get five. You're overpaying for almost yeah. every card in your deck, <laughs> but it's you know you right. get the James day home value.
1: Yeah. I think that's right. So you're paying for the, you're paying for two things. You're paying for card advantage and you're paying for the cost of whatever it is you're, you're playing. Yeah. Um, so you could flip and hit preordain. You've drawn a preordain. So you basically pay JM Day Tome plus one to be able to cast it.
0: (laughs) Right? (laughs) Well, you know, you pay the card without paying its mana cost. That's what I'm saying. Oh, you mean four plus one equals five? Yes. You've played jam Day Tome plus one. It's worth noting, too, that if you had four mana for Urza, and he creates a construct that ostensibly taps for mana, that you're basically on activating his last ability on your next turn, just as a baseline. Granted, that is not an acceptable baseline for Vintage. It has to be better than that. There's a lot of synergy to be had, too, with what it means to accelerate this out. Meaning, if you play turn one, I don't know, land top, land mox top, and then look with top, right, to set yourself up, Next turn, you could have another land in a mox because you found it with the top. You could have mana crypt. You could have all manner of things. But let's say you play this Urza on two, and now you could still look with your top again. It makes one mana. Or you could just pay another one mana spell with your top or the construct, right? And at that point, the construct is probably a three, three to a four, four. It's worth noting that the construct counts itself. It says this creature gets plus one, plus one for each artifact you control. And it is, in fact, an artifact. So even though it's a zero, zero, it can't really reasonably be smaller than a one, one. I think this card has a lot of potential in terms of a foil to the expected rampancy of Null Rod and OOF effects in the format and Karn effects going forward. It has a fair bit of synergy with the, just in terms of mana production, but also as a kind of alternate win condition for PO. It's, it plays a similar game to Karn Scion, not for colorless reasons, of course, but a similar game in that it represents a value engine and a win condition altogether you could very readily kill someone with that construct which could quickly be six seven eight power in outcome and just take the control role if that's what your hand does in that matchup similarly similar to car and this is a card advantage engine now granted it takes a, a lot yeah, of mana it,
1: if you get a lot of mana yeah. going
0: it's a huge but engine. it also feeds itself but don't forget it feeds itself right you, you do for, yeah, you for five and does. you just reveal a key well that key makes one mana next turn totally reasonable to expect to actually activate this twice in a turn in a particular type of mid-game.
1: Yeah, this is a very reasonable card. I just don't know how good it's going
0: to be. Well, you make a fair point. We have kind of a deluge of 4-mana things that a PO deck wants to do these days, right? Between PO, Mm -hmm. both of the Karns, and now this Urza, ignoring a number of other past things that those decks have tried to play. And the London Mulligan is going to push everything more aggressively in the format. There's no doubt about that, right? You're going to be pushed down to turn 1 draw 7s and turn 1 or 2 Narsets if possible right? Yeah. I do think that the format is going the wrong direction for this card, which is, all things being equal, a pretty good value engine, and the the preferred way to stop a collector oof going forward is to just kill your opponent before they can play it. I think Urza is vintage playable, and as we've said many times before, mostly won't see play. I'm not entirely sure if I want to go 0, but I won't be surprised at... I think the over-under is, is at, on 1. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think um, this card's any good in in Grixis Thief? Do you think it's any good as where where the plan is uh, primarily of Thieves value? Is
1: so mar, it's so marginal in today's yeah, metagame. Agreed. You know, I I just love the the, the the thing that's compelling about this card is the way in which it overcomes null. Absolutely. Like you can be playing PO and just go this route and be fine. It's it's hard you know?
0: for your answer to a two mana permanent to be a four mana permanent, though.
1: Well, but it nets at three. Uh but I hear well, what you, you're you saying you still
0: have to pass that press that four mana Cast, threshold yeah yeah, which if collector's Oaths are coming down on one is pretty hard to do
1: well but those those uh even with wastelands those uh p o decks can get to four mana they can get they just land land drop for four straight turns <laughs> and get there I mean they do it all the time that's it does happen they have fifteen six fourteen fifteen sixteen lands I don't think it's that unreasonable in that
0: case however, the fact that there is is a blue card is a is a pretty big liability.
1: No, but it is one
0: four, so it's going to survive. No, no, but I mean pyroblast.
1: But I know, I know. I don't know. I th- I think I think it's a reasonable counter counter strategy. I don't expect to see a lot of these in top
0: eights. There's no denying that Karn Scion was a dominant sideboard strategy for PO last year, right? We we covered this very well in our year in review, and there's in, in my opinion, there's no doubt that Urza would have seen top eights in 2018 given how many four mana cards those po decks were running at the time i just think the pressure that london puts on the format is a way in the opposite direction of this card that said boy being able to answer the raft of karn great creators and collector ooze that the format's about to experience that does have a lot of value
1: yeah i
0: don't know well the the way you describe it, it sounds like a non-zero though right i mean it sounds like some sideboard play i'm not
1: convinced not convinced. I think there's a good chance that we'll see play. I'm not convinced it's going to appear in a top mm. eight.
0: I think, especially post London, we're going to see a lot of PO decks of different styles make top eight. There's going to be a lot of creativity in that archetype, and as such, I think a lot of there's a lot of intersection between uh, strong players and strong deck building and creativity that's going to go into the post London metagame. I think it's inevitable that one or more of those players are going to make top eight with one of these, probably on their sideboard, for the reasons we've stated. So I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with two.
1: I'll take the under.
0: Is that a zero or a one? One. (laughs) Pretty specific call. That's a, that's a price is right call right there. (laughs) You think there's (laughs) going to be exactly one copy? (laughs) Yes. Fair enough. Let's move on to another highly, highly relevant card. Force of Negation. One UU instant. If it's not your turn, you may exile a blue card from your hand rather than pay this spell's mana cost. Counter target non creature spell. If that spell is countered in this way, exile it instead of putting it into its owner's graveyard. We have a new formation of alternate mm-hmm. casting costs here. If it's not your turn, you can pitch cast this. Love it. And it counters, it's worth noting, it counters non-creature spells. So you're not countering a collector's Ophir and Urza with this.
1: Yeah. So a little bit of theory on Force of Will <laughs> and counter magic in general. The, the Fulcrum for Force of Will is that Force of Will can be both defensive, meaning it can be a counterspell against an opponent's card, or it can be protective, meaning that it shields one of your threats. And the fact that Force of Will does both is really what gives it so much power. Definitely. Um, now, you, now let me give you an example of cards that do one but not the other. And the two obvious examples are Misdirection and Mind Break Trap. Mindbreak Trap is essentially just defensive, meaning it's a card that tries to disrupt your opponent's pursuit of their strategic objectives, meaning it counters their threats, but basically requires them to be playing multiple spells, meaning this, you bas- I mean, to some extent, Mindbreak Trap is not entirely, but to some extent, it's basically got this clause that <laughs> you play it on your opponent's turn, whereas Misdirection is the opposite. It's the card that shields your threats, So you put Oath of Druids on the stack or Necropotence on the stack and you play Misdirection to misdirect their force to your Misdirection instead of to your Yawgmoth's Will, Tinker, Oath, whatever. So this card is more in the vein of Mindbreak Trap than Misdirection. Certainly not Force of Will because it's not able to shield your own threats, at least not easily. Um, I think in today's day and age, like you're not going to be able to beat Force of Will in terms of that versatility. But Mind Break Trap sees more play than Misdirection. So I think that the defensive role of countermagic is more value than the protective role of countermagic. Um, and I also think that it's very, very important that like, you hardcast Mind Break Trap a lot of the time. This is even more efficient. So, in my mind, this competes with Mindbreak Trap as a counterspell. But let's talk more about that. Mindbreak Trap sees play, so the question is... It, but this is easier to hardcast, and Mindbreak Trap is frequently hardcast. So, um, I think the point of comparison is Mindbreak Trap.
0: Yes, you make some very, very good points there, and many of them. And, but to your, your last point there, obviously this competes with Mindbreak Trap. And one of the things I was considering when I was... Trying to preview preview my analysis of this card was that the fact that this says non-creature pigeonholes it just enough in my opinion for it to lose out against Mind Break Trap in almost all functional cases. Yeah, and the, the, uh, but, <laughs> I was afraid yeah, you'd say that. to say that. Yeah, but to specify a little bit more, um, when you want Mind Break Trap in vintage and especially I'm looking at post London vintage, right? You want it because your opponent went like land, mox, mox, wheel of fortune. And so I think that as such, Mind Break Trap is really what you need in the dire kind of I need to win this game on the draw kind of situations that Vintage puts you in. There are very few situations right. where your opponent plays only one or two spells in Vintage and you, that is the thing that was going to cause you to lose right on the first turn. I think Mind Break Trap gets the nod in almost every case. Force of Negation would have some advantage in terms of its exile ability, which is somewhat relevant in Vintage, but not worth sacrificing utility over. And also the hard cast ability. The difference between 3 and 4 is, is large, but the difference between 1 slash 2 and 3 on Force of Negation is also large. So while Force of Negation gets points on cast ability later in the game, it's not a big enough win, in my opinion, over the value of Mind Break Trap and the utility of Mind Break Trap early. When right. you factor in... and also yeah Sorry, just one more thing. Ahead. When you factor in the fact that Mind Break Trap doesn't require you to pitch a card, <laughs> I think that's the nail in the yeah. coffin. I think Force of Negation is close on almost every axis, but because of the nature of the format and the, the situations where you really need it, Mind Break Trap wins out in almost every case.
1: The other thing is that Mind Break Trap doesn't actually counter spells. Uh, yes, them.
0: very useful. Which And has some more use yeah, corner it, case utility than I think having an, ex- an exile effect here does. Yeah. I mean,
1: you know, one thing I didn't get to get into and I wanted to mention at the beginning of the review is that there, you know, there's really been in the last 6 years a kind of blossoming in terms of set design. So we've seen we saw this kind of creep out with specialty sets like the Commander products and what was the set Conspiracy? Yeah. I was going to say with Dak Faden. Um and then we saw like, you know, the Master sets like Vintage Masters uh Modern Masters, you know, which ostensibly were sets for these older formats, but they were reprint sets. This set is only 15% reprint sets, rep- reprints, yep. but it's got a lot of homages, you know, cards that are inspired by older cards. We've already talked about, you know, Goblin Welder being an inspiration. Oh, yeah. Um, and clearly these effects, you know, when you have cards that are similar to existing playables, that's one way to design playables for vintage, right? Similar to situationally better and situationally mm-hmm. worse. Now, the only way this is situationally better is that you don't actually have to pay one life than Force of Will. <laughs> so it's not strictly inferior to Force of Will. But uh, it, it's clearly miles, league, it's leagues behind. Um, the question is, how much worse is it than Mind Break Trap? Could you see a, de- a deck, you know, Mind Break Trap goes into all different, it can be a stack sideboard card, this right. can't be, right? You could put Mind Break Trap into a survival sideboard which has very little blue otherwise. Um, I just don't see this. It's hard to see this being played over Mind Break Trap in any in any significant quantities. And I'm not even sure I'd play it over Misdirection. You know, if I if like let's say Misstep is restricted, right? Yeah. I guess you could play four Force, one Misdirection, one Mind Break Trap, and one of these, and then just play them all until you see which is the best, <laughs> and then gravitate towards that.
0: What, what about but Pitch Dredge?
1: Interesting. I hadn't actually considered this- that. There's a problem, chance this is superior
0: yeah. to Trap in specifically Pitch Dredge I, at countering cages. I
1: ag- I totally agree with you on that. I, I really hate Mindbreak Trap in Pitch <laughs> Dredge. This card is awesome in Pitch Dredge. It's, I didn't even think about that. This card has got to be great in there. Seriously. Trap, trap is still great. pretty
0: decent, I think, in Dredge, especially in the post-London world. But still, mm. th- the, the default mm. need for Pitch Dredge <laughs> in post-sideboard games is to be able to address a hate card on the first turn.
1: Yes. This is exactly what you want yeah. that for. I I don't really think Mindbreak Trap is that great in Dredge. I like just well, don't. Well, that's okay. It's just my personal It's still opinion. widely played either I think way. this is great. Yeah, I would play I would immediately put these in for Mindbreak Traps and Dredge. That's actually terrifying.
0: <laughs> Interesting.
1: I'm serious. It's terrifying because Dredge is already so good to get this weapon.
0: Yeah, that means you'd have 8 force of wills effectively for that turn one cage or crypt. Yes. Uh, not count, well 12 yes. if you count misstep on cage.
1: Yeah, that's terrifying. It just, I think it, what it solidifies in my mind is that Leyline of the Void post London Mulligan is now the default anti-Dredge card. It has to be agreed. If Dredge can play this card, it, just, it has to be Leyline. Wow, that's some knock-on effects right there. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So we could pretty readily try to quantify the amount of Dredge that's playing Mind Break Trap recently, right? That's that's a fairly common configuration for Dredge in the last, so let's say since March first. Looking at dredge lists that have mind break traps in the board. Now, granted, some of them play main deck too, so I'm gonna to have to look at that too. It looks like we've got one, two, three, four, five with sideboard mind break traps. And then in the main deck, there's another one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 9, 10, 11, 12. So looks like you're between 20 and 30 dredge decks in the last quarter that have played mind break trap either main or side. That's a pretty good indicator for this card. P- pretty yeah, good that's measuring a great stick.
1: Point. That is a great point.
0: Granted, this has more deck building requirements than Mind Break Trap does, but those lists are already playing Force of Will, and they're already very mindful of their blue card count. So it's not it's not a significant change there. It's just one that uh, deck construction wise, the uh, pilots must be mindful of. If even a quarter of those players adopt this, either main or side, that's a pretty significant uptick. That could easily put us in the the five to fifteen range in my estimation, and that's counting basically no play outside of Dredge. Yeah. Okay, so it seems pretty clear that there's going to be a non-zero amount of play here. It might be limited to one archetype. My instincts tell me that it won't be. My instincts tell me that some players are going to test this card uh, because they feel like they need more force of wills, basically, for certain matchups and aren't Mm -hmm. interested in running Mind Break Trap for whatever reason. I don't think it's an entirely unreasonable position, right? I mean...
1: Is this? Do you think this will see play in landstill type decks either, like really slow control decks?
0: I think that's reasonable. Yes, I think it could be like a, a two of to bolster the Force of Will effect for that deck. I'm not certain it's correct for the archetype in the long run, but that's the kind of thing. I think there will be some exploratory play for this card as people tease out because not the Force of Will is so omnipresent. There's not many people in the vintage metagame who play fewer than four Force of Wills when they play Force of Wills, right? There's not a lot of people right. who have think critically about the quantity of that card in their deck, and this confronts everyone with that notion. And not everyone's going to get it. Not everyone can get it right by default. There's so many factors.
1: Well, I think this is definitely a non-zero. Yeah. I completely forgotten about dredge. What are the what percentage of dredge decks were in with mindbreak traps were in top eights in the last three months? I want to use that as my baseline.
0: Well, I counted up the total appearances of dredge plus mindbreak trap main and side, and it was about 30. That's top eight appearances total. Wow. I think it's reasonable to ass- wow. so assume like that f- about a quarter to a half of those pilots would play this card going forward. Yeah,
1: yeah. so the floor is like, like the floor is about
0: f- 8 to 15. The, the, I would say the floor is probably 5 at the lowest, but I think okay. it's reasonable to say 10 to 15. And if you factor in just a, a little bit of play, maybe speculative play in other archetypes, like this card could easily be a 15 to 20, depending on uh, where that those spikes in players are successful. Post-London, people are going to be scrambling, too. That's the other thing. There's, there's going to be a lot of uncertainty post-London, and a lot of things are going to be on the table for players.
1: This is actually terrifying to me. Also, Well, I just think this card just makes Dredge so much... Like, this might be one of the best cards for Dredge that could have possibly been <laughs> printed. Seri- I'm serious. That sounds silly, but it's... Think about it.
0: Well, that combined with a London Mulligan could make Dredge a I mean, real what, menace.
1: I mean, what does right, Dredge need? What does Dredge want? Dredge needs a way to prevent an opponent from playing an anti-dredge card in between turns 0 mm-hmm. and 2, right? That's all Dredge needs. That's what this card does. Better than basically anything else but Force of Will in the entire format, yeah. right?
0: Well, and Dredge also wants another card that we're going to review in a couple of cards here, too, which you might be interested to talk about then. <laughs> but we'll see. Yeah. Well, okay. I'm going to go with... So, uh, so let's yeah, give I'm a prediction. Yeah. I think it's a conserv- a bit of a safe number.
1: I'm going, I'm going higher, because I, d- I think it's going to see play beyond... Beyond that, beyond Dredge, I'm going to go 15.
0: All right. That seems like a very reasonable range for us. Let's move on to our next card, which the community, I think, is on average very excited about for many reasons. This is Shenanigans. One R Sorcery, Destroy Target Artifact, Dredge 1. That's it. That's the whole thing. It's a Sorcery Shatter with Dredge.
1: (laughs) Now, have there been any red Dredge cards before?
0: Um, This is the first. No, Dredge has been entirely a Golgari mechanic uh, until now.
1: Yeah. It's incredible.
0: It has a, this this could be this could be a Natmo's plant, right? This 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 smacks <laughs> of someone who understands eternal formats and who says, "You know what we need?" <laughs> now, I wouldn't have designed exactly this card per se. I might have designed the next card, but still the point is is that this has a ton of utility in vintage in terms of It's not very efficient, but having repeated access to a shatter every turn is just, this could be incredibly demoralizing for a uh, Shops player to play against, right? And on the flip side, it addresses one of the main challenges that decks like Xerox and decks that are trying to take the control role against Shops have had for years, which is you play a really interactive game in the first few turns. Maybe you force their first threat. Maybe you bolt their inspector. They play a thing. Maybe you get some card advantage with ancient grudge or shattering spree. You get to turn 3, two, three, no, three, four, five, and you might have run out of interactive options. Or you might be sitting on a snapcaster, but all you can do is flashback a bolt, right? And then they go ballista for four, right? Off of double workshop. And you're like, dang it. I need a specific thing now to, to combat this ballista for four. This is where this card shines. No matter what your shop opponent does, you know, Karn notwithstanding. <laughs> What they do, they could just pull off the top this enormous threat. But you've just got well. I guess I'm going to dredge my sh- my shatter again. Um, it's fantastic in that in that sense. It is diminished greatly in the, the light of the current metagame, given the omnipresence of Carns and and cards that just doesn't shatter like Eldrazi, right? So it's not a it's not a panacea for the format like we might have had or thought it would be a couple of years ago. But I think it's still a very interesting tool.
1: Well that's a lot to respond to. Um so what I want to say is it basically is is what you know, Dark Blast was for creatures, this is for artifacts. Naturally. It's just a a simple recurrable way to, you know, to to continue to destroy artifacts. The the obvious issue is that well, I I mean basically it's like if you want to draw a shatter, you can draw a shatter, right? Um it would have been nice if this was an instant. (laughs) Granted. But I still I still just think it's gonna see play. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's better than... Um, I'm not sure it's better than Ancient Grudge and Dredge, but it might be.
0: Well, the, the current crop of Dredge decks are such low mana production, right? Like yeah. seven or eight sources of mana in the whole deck that there's no way this is playable in Modern Dredge. It would yeah. take a sea change in D- the standard of that Does Modern Dredge use
1: Ancient Grudge? Do you
0: know? I'm sorry, say again?
1: Does Dredge, does Dredge use Ancient Grudge right now? No,
0: not typically. Um, because it has it's so bad at fighting Cage.
1: Yeah. This is, is also fairly good in top decks, you know, with, with Sensei's Dividing Top because you can decide you want to mill cards away and, and put this in you know, a dredge list. Yeah. It only dredges dredge one yeah. card. This, this card is
0: incredibly good with Faden, right? Oh, yeah. And JVP.
1: What do you think? Where's this going to see play?
0: I think this is playable in Rug Xerox. However, for the reasons I already stated, I think that deck is under incredible pressure to be able to answer non-artifact threats these days hence the uptick in spell pierce right. and, and picking Needle. And the fact that the some of the dominant versions of the Karn decks these days are, are functionally just Eldrazi decks, that this card is going to be hard to find a home. Uh, yeah. So I think this card is playable. I think it, it you could find it in a sideboard. It's going to depend a ton on how the metagame evolves and whether or not the if the Grim Monolith decks continue to be casting Thought Not Seers and Reality Smashers, then this card probably isn't the right play. But if those decks, if there's a turn where those decks become Ravager decks more reliably again, then this card gets way better. So it's very, very metagame dependent, in my opinion. I would not play this card today, just at all, I don't think. I think you need reliable access to interaction with Karn and Eldrazi. It's going to require a shift in the metagame, at which point it becomes really good in some of those situations I uh, outlined earlier.
1: Yeah, I think I agree with you, honestly. I think this card is is like shockingly fascinating and seems un- <laughs> facially good, but I, I just I'm not sure this is actually just going to see play. Yeah. You know, well Reasons refer to
0: my prior comments about how Xerox decks are metagame decks and that they need to adapt to non-artifact threats in these colorless matchups. This is not the card for that. That said, I don't think this is going to see zero play. I think it's cool. It has a lot of fun uses. It's good in um, Oath, for example, right? Nice to yeah. oath this up and then have a recurring threat or answer, I should say. So I think it's playable. Oh,
1: you know what? There is one one other reason this might be this might see yeah. play over ancient grudge in both oath and possibly okay. dredge, which is that you can dredge. It's an answer to graph digger's cage where you can't flashback grudge. That's true. Now, so you probably want to do a mix. Yeah, you're right. This is this. And this grudge. is quite
0: good in oath. Now that I think about it, for that very reason, you're right about that. So, and especially since oath has been on the rise lately. Whether or not that will maintain, I don't know, but yeah, you're right. This is probably a great one of an oath. And if dredge decks were to go back to having increased amounts of mana, which seems unlikely in the face of force of negation and other factors. Um but still, to your point, that this is a great card. If a dredge deck can reliably get to two mana, this is a great answer to a cage. Yeah. So I'm inclined to go with a, a modest non zero number, right? I think this'll we'll see this creep into top eights likely in oath, maybe that maybe primarily, but likely in a few other decks because i think some some xerox players are going to be attracted to this effect maybe as a one of so i'm inclined to go something like i don't know two or three
1: um geez i think that's the right range actually i do i think that's the the center point of the range yeah Um, i'm gonna go you pick a number i'll pick the other one i'm I'm gonna go three (laughs) i'm feeling like
0: players are probably gonna like this a little bit more than i'm thinking Now, as for a card that's going to be very, very fun to assess, let's talk about Force of Vigor. 2 GG, instant. If it's not your turn, you may exile a green card from your hand rather than pay this spell's mana cost. Destroy up to two artifacts, target artifacts, or enchantment. This is the Force of Will that green wanted all those years ago, right?
1: (laughs) God, this is so great. This card is just incredible. This card is so great. (laughs) This is the card that keeps me thinking up at night, like that I can't sleep thinking about. Seriously, this card is just this is exactly
0: the kind of thing that Dredge wants to fight the massive influx of ley lines.
1: No kidding. Yeah. (laughs) God, more more tools for Dredge.
0: Yeah, pitch Dredge is going to become it's it's almost going to become comical now to consider how many pitch spells it can play (laughs) going forward.
1: Yeah, I mean, what are the green cards though, besides Golgari Grave Troll? What are the other ones that Yeah, we'll
0: that's a tough one. I I genuinely don't know the answer to that. They're,
1: I mean, they typically have run Nature's Claims, but...
0: Yeah, but this card kind of takes that spot, right? Trumps Now, granted, it. you could yeah. run a combination, of course, but you you, may, you make a great point. I don't know how you get a sufficient amount of green cards into your dredge deck exactly.
1: You need, like, Shambling... Shambling Shell. Whatever that, yeah. Shell... <laughs> which is no, i mean
0: they're not gonna well go it's that only way. one shambling shell is dredge three which is only one worse than thug which is pretty widely played right there's also greater moss dog which is just mono green and uh dredges for three but you wouldn't play that over the shambling shell because of interactions with ich- Icarid and things like that you could clearly build a life from the lone build right it requires more mana mm-hmm. of course but that such a build could easily have enough green cards when you consider the loams and nature's claims and other things. It's unfortunate that Ancient Grudge is not a green card, but there could be a deck that plans to play two-mana spells with reliability and has uh, Assassin's Trophy or Abrupt Decay. Granted, I've been parting kind of a lot of removal onto that build, more than it realistically we'd want. I'm sure there are other green cards that we, as not so- primary dredged pilots, are simply not considering, <laughs> but which have historically been I- on the I short don't list. want
1: to just... I don't want to just um, overly focus on dredge for this card. I want. I don't want our entire review of this card to be centered on dredge. Seriously. Understood. Yeah. Um, I think this is a card that is broadly playable. I mean, this is what we've. The, the main criteria for fighting shops has been for years now. Cards that are basically free, have alternative mana costs, or counteract the effects of cost in, ta- mana taxing. Right, and this is basically the first two. Absolutely. <laughs> And this is essentially what Vintage has been looking for for a long time. I feel like this, even more than the. Yeah, this is. I'm so happy Nat Moe's got to work on this (laughs) set because this, I I sense he might have had had some influence on this card. This is what Vintage has needed. I think this card has gotten me more excited to play Sylvan Library Oath type decks than anything else I can in a long, long time. Seriously. That's funny. I mean, I mean. This is a reason to play Sylvan, you know, because the the additional Sylvan or whatever, you can just pitch it to this or Superfluous Oaths. This has got to go in Oath. It's got to go in Survival. I mean, I just don't see how this isn't in an Oath sideboard and Survival sideboard. Absolutely. And I think think it's
0: fantastic in Bug, too.
1: And bug, yeah. I mean, this is going to be used across the board. It's going to be in the hate bear sideboards. It's going to be in all those. This is a vintage staple in a deep way. I mean, I don't know. You, you remember back in the day how you look at vintage top eights and the two most played cards were force and mm-hmm. leyline? Imagine if this card had existed then, <laughs> it would have been it would have been those three cards, you know? Because you, this would have been a card in like a grow sideboard, you know? Yeah. Like This is just incredible. Yeah. What it does. I mean it's 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 never card disadvantage. You get to hit two th- I mean it could be, but you can get up to yep. two cards, you know. So hitting two taxing effects with this, you know, is just devastating against shops. Devastating. I'm, um this is a this is a, a format staple key card, you know, up there like with Collector's Oath in my opinion.
0: And look at how well it plays with the Oath. <laughs>
1: yes. Even yeah. Um I just, that's why I didn't want this to get stuck in the Dredge Ghetto here, you know, this is... Yeah,
0: you make fantastic points. I would like to support that by saying exactly how this card can function in what's probably going to be two of the common matchups, which is the Karn decks and PO decks, especially post-London. The, in the Karn decks, there's this tension that I have already alluded to about there being colorless, non-artifact spells, right? So this doesn't match up against an Eldrazi, full stop. You're going to have to have other answers there. No. But, no. Even though this can't destroy a Karn, it fights a lot of what Karn, the Great Creator, is trying to do. Right? Those decks are trying to right. set up Key Vault. Key Vault. By, by, by yeah, definition. you
1: instant speed removal yeah. of that. And by the way, you can also beat Mycosynth Lattice with uh, this. Which uh, is actually, one of your...
0: no, you can't. Unfortunately.
1: Oh, because the cards in hand are now <laughs> That's all, right. all colorless. That's Yeah, it's yeah. worth
0: noting that this could this could actually lead to an increase in Mycosynth Lattice in those Karn decks because of that <laughs> very reason. But we'll see. Nice. <laughs> and then against PO. If you're talking about future state post-London draw 7 PO, this card's only so-so. It still fights Key vaults if those decks play it, and it's disruptive to their mana. If that's good enough, we'll see. But this card is kind of um, a mini hoser against Paradoxical Outcome but in and of itself, right? It doesn't yes, counter the outcome, yes. but if you've got an outcome for four, that's suddenly an outcome for two now, right? And that can two. make a big difference yeah. because it's not just totally two worth fewer it. cards, but it's also two fewer yeah. mana, right? It, it, it plays into the value that is Paradoxical Outcome. So, I expect this card to come in against this, those outcome decks, even if it's not the primary strategy.
1: So, so what's so amazing about this card is the breadth, breadth of possibilities. It's going to be automatically played in Dredge, automatically played in Survival, automatically play playable <clears throat> in Oath, probably played yep. in Oath, sideboards, why wouldn't you? <laughs> uh, it's going to be played in, uh, I said bug. survival, uh, certainly hate pairs, bug, and it can also be in Rug, in Xerox decks. Now that, so this card Yeah, is,
0: that would require an uptick in green cards in those Rug decks. Those are very few but, green cards but no, today.
1: The ru- the ru- but the Rug decks could certainly play with z- uh, Nature's Claim... Mana Gorge um,
0: Hydra, the Oof. Mana survival exactly. Additional yeah. survivals, yeah. You, you make a fair yes. point, but they would have to change other survival. Build. Uh,
1: yeah. I mean it could. I mean you you could certainly build. I mean so how many, you know, we we know the math on this from Force of Will. <laughs> True. <laughs> how many green cards you need? You know, if you just have 12 other, you know, 10 to 11 other green cards and four of these you're there. I mean, it probably won't see you play in rug just because rug already has like ancient grudge, but it certainly could it is could. what I'm saying. If you have enough Absolutely, it could. Yeah, if you So this the, the possible range of decks this could be played in is is quite large. And I think this is, this is a reba- a format rebalancing card against these nasty shop decks. I can't wait to see Survival <laughs> play this. Seriously. <laughs> Survival, Survival, Bug, these decks, this is... Th- how is this not better than... <laughs> my God, it gets rid of two things. You know, for no mana in Bug, this has just got to be unbelievable. It's worth noting that this is also good against Survival,
0: right? Given that it destroys Survival yes. and Hollow One. Yeah, this card is fantastic. My god. Um, I expect, you're right, I expect there's going to be a number of sideboards, once this set is legal, that features three oofs and 3 force of vigor, right? <laughs> and they're going to come in yeah. together in a lot of matchups. Many, many matchups. Yes. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Is this
1: even good enough to be playable main deck in a bug bug survival deck? Oh, absolutely. That kind of deck? Yeah, absolutely. Jeez. Jeez. I, this card is so good. And also, even in Dredge, I mean, well, I guess you, bring in, you, you can bring it against... Uh, Graf Digger's Cage, you know, Ley Line of the I Boy. I think you assume that it's this comes so in every
0: post, in every game 2 that you play with Dredge. With the dredge. only card I can think yeah. of that people that this doesn't fight is Yixxia Jailer. Is, is, oh, and, uh, and... And Containment uh, Priest. I'll say okay, Jailer, Priest, and Rav Trap. But no, nobody plays Jailer yeah. anymore. Almost nobody plays Priest anymore, in fact. It's just so no, slow. I mean, that's yeah. the...
1: Th- these things have been shifting in these directions. It's just yeah. This oh card is, God, is, this is very so very good for so dredge
0: at what it needs to fight right now. It's ideal. But the green I wonder card count if is these key.
1: cards are going to lead to to a restriction in dredge. No. Like the combination of these two force cards and the London mulligan. This is just bonkers. <laughs> well,
0: a lot is bonkers in vintage post London. And this set, we'll see. <laughs> but
1: this, this set is even more insane than War of the Spark. I, I, I mean, don't know. I know people are, I, I've, all, I think that War of the Spark is, I said this is like World Wake. It, and, and, and World Wake led to a major restriction. <laughs> Lodestone Golem. I think that the, I think that the, 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 here's, I'm going to make a, a bold prediction. War of the Spark and or Modern Horizons are going to lead to more than one restriction in Vintage.
0: I think that's possible. But I also think that the London Mulligan is going to factor in there pretty strongly such that without the London Mulligan it might not happen. I don't
1: know. I'm not sure if it'll actually be that significant. I think just these cards are that significant in themselves. They very much are. But I think this set might even be I mean so obviously the Planeswalkers are like really powerful in terms of controlling the format. But these cards might see more play. (laughs) Well this Force of Vigor or Brown the Collector Oath might actually be in terms of breadth, you know, just overall more play. Doesn't mean they won't have more top eight appearances, but they'll have larger metagame um
0: share yeah, overall I see your point.
1: Arch- from an archetype perspective. I think for the
0: oof that's almost that's that's a pretty like good likelihood as compared to Karn.
1: But how is that not how is that not true for Force of Vigor? If it's gonna see playing Oath Survival and Dredge and Bug, I mean that's four archetypes right there.
0: <laughs> I think you know? the oof goes in more different decks. And it's easier to put into a deck than forces. The oof goes in regardless of green spell count, right? We talked about it. You could play this true. oof in the sideboard of Rug, for example. But,
1: but but the oof isn't gonna be played in Dredge. And the oof is not gonna true. be played Very in Very true. Oath. Oath. Well. It'll probably it'll certainly be played in Bug though. <laughs> Bug R. Yeah. Wow, Bug R gets so good <laughs> in this set. Oh my god. That's gonna be a really deadly archetype. <laughs> <It> really <laughs> Every is. archetype becomes Seriously. much more
0: deadly now. The metagame is completely up in the air. It really is. All right, let's try to get to some numbers here. It's pretty tricky, actually, okay. to go with numbers here, because there are so many different decks that we're projecting. Yeah. But this feels like... So for, the, for reference, for the OOF, this we predicted sh- 12 to 15. I think that Force of Vigor will be in greater numbers than the OOF.
1: There's no way... I, the Force of Vigor is going to be a one, at least minimum one top eight, one vintage challenge per week appearance in top eight. Yeah. That's so, the that, floor, so that so that puts the opinion. floor at
0: 12 and I think you're probably right.
1: A little more than 12 because some some That's months right, are 5. That's right. 4.3 per month, yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah.
0: So that puts this yeah, you're right. So that puts the floor at uh th- 13 actually. So I agree with you completely. I think that the floor is 13 and I think it'll be higher than that. And so yeah. and, but I think the the median is probably closer to f- 15 to 20. I'm going to
1: say 24. I'm going to say 24. 24 actually. strikes me as a
0: bit high, but not out yeah. of the question by, by any stretch. Um
1: because we're not just talking about vintage challenges we're talking about paper we're talking that's about
0: P- paper players um, are going to like this a lot you're right yeah um yeah that's now that i think about it that's actually pretty good i was going to go a little bit lower but then you mentioned paper we obviously have had very light paper results lately but this is almost certainly going we're gonna way. have
1: SEG con we're gonna have nyse well yeah.
0: it's not legal for SEG con but yes oh yeah. my bad yeah well I think I'm going to take the under for the moment, just because of the current trends in the metagame, right? Like six card decks in the top eight. I don't know if that's going to continue to be the case, but for the moment, I think this will be depressed in the first couple of weeks that Modern Horizons is released. Then London happens and the whole thing gets upheaved. So I'm going to go. I'm going to go twenty. It's not much of a difference, okay. but just a little bit less. Next up, let's talk about another card in the Force Cycle: Force of Despair, one BB, instant. If it's not your turn, you may exile a black card from your hand rather than pay the spell's mana cost. Destroy all creatures that entered the battlefield this turn. <laughs> now, this mana cost is not unprecedented in Vintage, right? It's the same as Death Wish and Grim Tutor, but they're going back a ways for that. It's obviously, there's a couple of cards that BBB <laughs> that, uh, there's really only one that, uh, have seen play. And, um, so it's not unreasonable. It's pushing it for some archetypes, but for a deck like, uh, Grixis wouldn't want to be able to produce BB too reliably, but deck like Bug can handle it. What do you think yeah. about this effect though? Destroy all creatures that entered the battlefield this turn.
1: Well, so let's look at the creature decks in yeah. the format. There's workshops, there's Eldrazi, there's the Bug Decks, you know, there's the Token decks, Hate Bears. Oh in most of those cases, the decks distribute their creature deployment across turns. So it's it's you're mostly getting you're at least getting a one a, you know one creature sometimes two rare even rare you know rarely three but more likely you're just hitting one or two creatures from this yes. so it's really you know the best really the most realistic best use is two for one
0: two for two really if you're pitch casting it
1: well but you just yeah you just talked about it in the context of black uh, yeah, one true so it's so it is really playable I think it's probably most valuable if um. Like you're playing against Eldrazi, and your opponent plays like ThoughtNotSeer, or has a Thought Not Seer in play, I guess that, that doesn't really help. You, if you're basically, you're killing Reality Smasher is really what you want to do. Reality Smasher slash ThoughtNotSeer is pretty useful, I yeah. think.
0: Yes, I think Reality Smasher is one of the better uh, targets for this, because it circumvents the triggered ability from Reality Smasher costing you an additional card, since it doesn't target it. Now, obviously you end up paying that cost <laughs> if you pitch cast this as well, but then it's kind of a net you got a zero mana version of that, so it's an okay answer to a Smasher. It's not entirely terrible against Young Pyromancer or Monastery Mentor, I guess, if you have a multi spell turn. But that is not the way you want to fight those cards. No. It's not the kind of card you want against a go wide deck like that.
1: Yeah, I think in terms of free, you'd rather have like Massacre against yeah. Mentor.
0: I think the best possible use case for this is against Dredge in that in oh, that turn where they Dread Return. Right? You yeah. Get the dread return target and any zombies that Bridges created that way, as well as anything like uh, an Hykerid or something that happened to come out that turn uh, a Narc Amoeba or a ghast you could get a several for one against dredge. So,
1: so like a, a dredge mirror match card or something?
0: Interesting. Maybe, maybe, uh, but the problem is as terms of black cards that you're looking to pitch, this is actually pretty far down the list of utility in that matchup. Like you'd want Ley Lines that's first. That's what I would think. <laughs> and you'd want uh, Traps second, right? This is pretty far down the list. Plus, if they're bridging, um, and you play this, they're still going to get a bunch of bridge tokens from the all the non-token creatures you kill. So right, it's just right. a it's just a fog effect, effectively. Exchange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I genuinely don't think this is playable. There are a couple of applications. It's not worth the cost. It's also worth noting that there isn't really a deck in the format that wants this effect and has a s- significant number of black cards to pitch to it. Like Bug could pitch this reliably, but Bug is. Possibly the deck with the most removal in the format it doesn't really need this effect. So I'm, I'm pretty close to zero, I think, on Force of Despair.
1: Yeah, I'm on zero. Uh, I think the fundamental problem is that the, the way Vintage is set up right now, the deployment of creatures is sequenced across multiple turns, and the key in Vintage, the situational key, is being able to remove the creatures that are most imp- imping- impinging upon your board state, your, your strategy at that moment. So if your opponent played a Thalia last turn and that's really the card you gotta get rid of, or Lavinia and that's the card you gotta get rid of, that's the card you gotta get rid of. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You can't you can't like have it be so conditional. I think that conditionality is fatal to its utility and vintage.
0: Pretty interesting to point out that this card is pretty bad against the two specific creatures you just mentioned. It's weak against Thalia because you have to still put one mana even if you pitch it, and it's you have to have three lands in play and you can't even pitch it against Lavinia, right? So you right. have to pay full retail against Lavinia on this. That makes it pretty bad. But anyway, I agree with your conclusion. Let's move on to one Mirrodin Besieged. Let's don't and don't uh, misread, that is also a set name. But Mirrodin Besieged to you.
1: Yes, no, that that'll be a trivia answer at some <laughs> yeah, point. Absolutely. They you know that the, the cards that have set <laughs> well, names. Well, this is
0: that's a return to that's why this is a, another reference that this is being Time Spiral 2, right? It's because Time Spiral originally had a set named after a card right this is a card named after a set it's part of the in joke anyway to you enchantment as mirrodin besieged enters the battlefield choose mirin or phyrexian so there's two options here mirin whenever you cast an artifact spell create a 1-1 colorless mirror artifact creature token phyrexian at the beginning of your end step draw a card then discard a card then, if there are 15 or more artifact cards in your graveyard, target opponent loses the game. <laughs> what an incredible breadth of possibilities with this card. <laughs> yep, no So kidding. for three mana, for two U, obviously an eminently castable vintage mana cost. We've got one UU in Narset, for example, that's seeing play all over the board, not to, not to mention Dak Faden. This mana cost is incredibly reasonable. The effect, however, is... Obviously, Artifact-centric. Very similar on the Mirin side to Sai, Master Thopterist. Very similar to Saheeli, uh the new Sahili, the three-mana artifact that gives you a uh, Servo for every non-creature spell. Very similar to many other prior go-wide strategies in Vintage that we've reviewed uh, many times over. And I think probably not as good as Sahili or Sai in that first capacity which is not much of a surprise. Sai is a 1-4 creature who attacks and blocks on his own and also makes Thopters, which fly, and the flying is highly relevant. Sahili is an easier to cast, well, not entirely easier to cast, but a more flexible mana cost in her Is It mana, and she triggers off of non-creature spells, where this only triggers off of artifacts, so she's more generous in what she'll give you creatures for, plus she has another ability. So this is, I think it pales compared to other artifact-based token creature generators in that respect. I think the, right. the utility of this card goes entirely to can you use it as a Phyrexian. win condition? Can you play one yes, copy on Mirin and then play a future copy on Phyrexian, for example, and use it as a win condition?
1: Or would you just, how good is it just on Phyrexian? Because it does two things it cycles and then serves as a win condition. I mean, it cycle, yes. creates cycling. Yeah.
0: It has a non zero utility b- before it wins you the game on the Phyrexian side.
1: Um, so let's just go through the conditionality on, as a win condition. Um, the first is that you have to get 15 cards, artifacts in your graveyard. Mm-hmm. Getting 15 cards in your graveyard is hard enough. <laughs> yes, it is. To get 15 specific artifacts requires some deck construction acrobatics. So, first of all, um, what decks actually have 15 artifacts in them? PO does, but PO wants to have them in play, not in the graveyard. Um, so. The second, are there any other blue decks that have 15, you know, like, let's say in the range of 20 or more artifacts main deck, Kevin?
0: Past versions of decks like Tesserator.
1: Control Slaver?
0: Like a Tesserator, Maybe. A, a Grim Monolith-based Turbo Tez deck could hit that threshold.
1: Are you certain th- about that, that it had, like, enough to get 15 in the graveyard?
0: Well, so, there's, I think there's two different questions there. One is, do the decks have 15 artifacts? Yeah. Do they have enough to get 15 in the graveyard? Well, that's, I think, a calculus of how deep do you need to get into your strategy and the game in order to have 15 of your whatever your count of artifacts are in the graveyard, which I think are two separate questions. Like, how how far do you expect to be in your game of Vintage when you have 15 artifacts in the graveyard? How much of your deck have you seen, right? Is it half? Because then your deck needs 30 artifacts, right? If you're just flipping them over in some kind of organic fashion. So I, that's why I think your question belies two separate questions. Like, you can put together, even, even your modern um, paradoxical outcome decks don't actually have 30 artifacts in them, right? And, what's more, they don't have a way to put those all in the graveyard.
1: How many do they, do they actually have? Do you know?
0: Yeah, so if you look at the 17th place list, which appears to be, is that the highest placing outcome deck? Yeah, in fact, it's the only outcome deck in the last challenge, which is another issue unto itself. That deck has 17 artifacts in it, full stop yeah, exactly. yeah. So, exactly so no they don't have nearly that many you can you can hedge here and there right if you're playing uh, Seed of the synod for example, but it's pretty t- pretty tricky to get to a thirty artifact deck that's gonna work properly in vintage and still have all the other cools this card you is want. not
1: this card is not playable in my opinion yeah. it's a it's a it's a zero
0: i think that's the right conclusion you could build a deck that had enough artifacts like thirty to forty to have the ratio, but then your deck doesn't do what you want you this card to do. Lands, yeah, <laughs>
1: you can't have force of wills. You can't have missteps Well, no, you can. I
0: mean, you can. But
1: forty artifacts. You, you can't play force of wills and forty artifacts unless those artifacts are like master transcriber. Well, don't forget that some of your
0: artifacts <laughs> are your mana sources, right? I mean, like it, anyway. The point. The point is, <laughs> I think it's technically possible. The deck's not very good, and you have to bend over backwards to be milling yourself or entombing yourself. I do think it's worth considering whether or not there is any kind of engine that makes this card a win condition, right? Oath, for example. You could construct an Oath deck that yeah. had twenty-five maybe artifacts in it. So,
1: so then your conditionality is you need to a uh, trigger Oath. You need to not get crypted. <laughs> Why wouldn't you just play like Lab Maniac at that point? You know, <laughs> well, that's a very
0: so- reasonable question, and I think you're right. The conclusion is a zero here. It's the decks that That want to produce tokens when played artifacts have better options, like Psy, Mentor, and Sahili. The deck that wants to be a combo deck with this as its win condition has better options, like Lab Man, as you said, and other Oath kind of conditions. I simply don't think this is good at either of the things it's trying to do. Good enough. Let's move on to Plane Bound Accomplice. 2R, Creature, Human, Wizard. It's a 1-3. R, colon. You may put a Planeswalker card from your hand onto the battlefield sacrifice it at the beginning of the next end step here is a brand new effect that looks familiar to past effects because it is very similar to things we've been able to do in the past with creatures most notably but a few other card types as well it's very generous in its utility in the sense that you don't lose anything for activating this it just doesn't even tap for pete's sake it's just the most yeah. generous version of this effect i think i've ever seen outside of type four <laughs>
1: You mean like the sneak effect? Type yeah, exactly. Effect. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Elvish Piper, that kind of the, thing.
0: The combination of cheapness here and the fact that it's just just a single red to activate sneak attack is a single red also, but it costs a mana more than this. So the the simple thing is this hinges on having a certain density and utility of planeswalkers in your deck. There are vintage decks today that run eight planeswalkers. There's some eight copies of Karn decks out there, although that's not the standard. That's funny. But Karn-
1: That's funny that the colorless decks have the most, <laughs> uh, the most Planeswalkers. Yes, it is,
0: but those Karns do not lend themselves to this effect very well. Yes, you get a one-shot effect to tutor up from Karn the Great Creator, etc., but this is really designed for you to be getting massive mana and power advantages by sneaking in a 7 or 8 mana Planeswalker. That's where you get your most utility. You can't just sneak in a Dak Faden. That's almost not even worth doing, right? You may as well just cast Dak for the 3 mana this costs. Same goes for Narset. Actually, hold on, strike that. Narset has some inherent value because of her static ability. You yeah. can put a Narset in on your opponent's turn when they play Wheel of Fortune. That's actually maybe a, a sneaky thing. But that's not worth building a deck around. True. Not putting this card in, I should say. Right. Um, so the th- the, tr- the simple truth is, is that many non-colorless Planeswalkers in Vintage are played because of their efficiency and their utility. They're not there for a big bombastic effect as soon as they land into play. It's not worth paying this plus another mana and set up to get Jace the Mind Sculptor's Brainstorm effect, right?
1: Agreed. Um,
0: It's just not worth it. And then...
1: I just don't think that Planes... There's no Planeswalker ability that I can think of. Now, maybe there is. Maybe there's, like, a Nickel Bolas ability out there. Yeah, Ugin. But what does that do? What's its ability? Well, I think
0: the, the version of Ugin that people would go to is the original Ugin, which his minus X ability says exile each permanent with converted mana cost X or less. That's one or more colors. Like, you could wipe the board of colored permanence that way. That's that's something you could do. Okay. I mean, I'm not saying that's entirely worth the setup cost here of no. playing that Ugin plus it's this card. It's not like
1: it's not like something that says draw four cards, your opponent discards their hand. That's what I'm <laughs> no, thinking. No, I mean like something like that.
0: Those are the kind of effects you have to build up for with planeswalkers, right? There's no one planeswalker yeah. that really, really, really does that.
1: If there were a kind of like enormously overcosted planeswalker that was like red, red, blue, blue, white, white, green, green, green black, black, five you know that had like a bombastic plus or minus ability that you could use immediately then i we could have a conversation about this card but in the absence of such a planeswalker this is not interesting enough to talk about in my opinion
0: <laughs> so the
1: beyond what beyond the preliminaries rather yeah
0: so if you sort all planeswalkers by mana cost descending the highest ones are Nickel Bolas, right what does so it do there's what are, uh, what are it's- the most expensive ones can uh, destroy target non-creature permanent gain control of target creature Boring, yeah, I know. Each boring. opponent loses three life and they sacrifice a non land permanent or discard. Super yeah. Destroy a creature, draw a card? Yeah, not really. Boring. Um, destroy another planeswalker. Uh, target player exiles a card from their hand. Irrelevant. Exile target permanent. Karn <laughs> Liberates exile target permanent is pretty high on this list. Those
1: are super unexciting. Yeah, yeah these permanent things are just not, not doing it for no. me. I need something that says, like, Mind Twist Brain Geyser. That's what <laughs> I'm looking for. <laughs> You're not going to get that on a
0: first activation from any planeswalker.
1: Yeah, not even one of those enormous exactly. ones. Or even something like, I don't know, Draw Sevens, or, uh, you know, Exile Half Your Opponent's Library, I don't know, something interesting.
0: There's there's just nothing... turn
1: something from a graveyard into play, anything.
0: Well, there are reanimates, there are Zombifies from various Liliana that could zombify, but that's not... I mean, you can already do that for cheaper yeah. in vintage, so...
1: Yeah, I'm looking for something like, you know, uh, minus three loyalty, or minus four loyalty, um play three instants from your graveyard as if they were in your hand you know something like that without paying their mana cost okay now we're talking
0: yeah i simply don't think there is any effect that that satisfies the conditions you're looking for okay there is one cute interaction here with the original kaya so note that this card says you may put a planeswalker from your hand on the battlefield sacrifice it at the beginning of the next end step well the original Kaya's, uh, plus ability starts with, or sorry, her zero ability starts with exile Kaya ghost assassin. So you can permanently get a Kaya if you put her in for, oh, nice. for red and then exile her immediately. So that's nice. cute, but not worth the time or the yeah. investment. It's already a four mana no. card for a four mana card. So. Right. No, I don't think there's just, I don't think there's enough utility as you as you said, to be gained from initial activation of a planeswalker in vintage for this effect.
1: Like, one of the things you could do with, with obviously sneak attack is if you sneak attack in a gristle Brand, you can draw 14 cards. Or if you sneak attack in a nickel boloss, you can attack and mind twist your yep. opponent. So, can't do either one of those with this. Nope, you're
0: exactly right. Okay, so let's move on to seasoned pyromancer. One RR, creature, human, shaman. It's a 2-2. When seasoned pyromancer enters the battlefield, discard two cards. Then draw two cards. For each non-land card discarded this way, create a 1-1 red elemental creature token. Then there's this activated ability, 3RR, Exile Seasons Pyromancer from your graveyard, colon. Create two 1-1 red elemental creature tokens.
1: I I don't mean to be glib, but there's so much wrong with this card, it's hard to know where to begin. Uh, (laughs) I will begin, though, with the poorly sequenced discarding and drawing. I mean, obviously you always want to draw, then discard to filter. So this it really pinches you and then potentially gives you worse cards. Um, that's incredibly undesirable. And then for the um, discard trigger to be dependent on that sequencing makes things even worse. First,
0: yeah, I, I would like to caveat what you said by the fact that you do want to play this card when it's the last card in your hand because yes. the draw and the discard are disconnected and as such, if this is the only... If there are no cards in your hand when this trigger resolves, you discard zero and draw two.
1: Which is exactly the opposite of what xerox decks do they want to play their token generator early and then all the spells after that yes
0: exactly there this doesn't play well with counter magic or controlling effects basically full stop there's just you don't want to you don't want the last three cards in your hand Eh, to be this eh. and mental misstep and force of will right you're just never going to cast your seasoned pyromancer this is for a different kind of deck construction read modern than our three color aggro control decks exist in in vintage this is
1: not vintage playable i don't think we should really belabor the point
0: but to be a little more circumspect about it this is not as good at creating tokens either as young pyromancer is in Vintage. invented yeah, quite <laughs> obviously for many reasons that it doesn't go as wide and it's conditional in its first creation and then the second ability which could create two more is a uh, five mana so and on top of all that it's got a trickier mana cost at one rr for just a two two i think all those things combined means the this is not right for the way Vintage is at right now. Let's then switch to Echo of Eons. 4 UU Sorcery. Each player shuffles their hand and graveyard into their library, then draws seven cards, a.k.a. Time Twister. Flashback to you.
1: This card is so sweet.
0: <laughs> so this is Time Twister, full it- stop, for double the cost, but the flashback cost is the same as Time Twister. I mean, yes. original mana cost, you understand.
1: This card is so sweet. This card actually makes me want to play Legacy again, <laughs> which is really sad. I mean, I haven't played Legacy basically since old school became a thing, but if there's a card that makes me want to play it, it's simply because you can Lion's Eye Diamond and mm-hmm. you know and, and cast this as Time Twister just straight and up. And you can play four that's of each in so, Legacy. so sa- saucy, <laughs> so exciting. Yeah, that's pretty um, cool. It's real, I mean, you can really go nuts with Draw 7s. Um, now, this obviously has the same mana cost as well as Time Spiral, which occasionally has seen Vintage play. It's now unrestricted, but it was like in the Perfect Storm for a while and would occasionally be in some, some combo yeah. decks. The Draw 7s have kind of been... I mean, since Mental Misstep saw play, Draw 7s have just been much worse. And then you get Mind Break Trap, and now you have Force of Negate. I just think that this is not the day or age of the Draw 7 in Storm combo, although it seems to be doing pretty well in PO for that brief period. Um, obviously the, the the clawback provision in Time Spiral is that you get to untap lands, which you don't get to have here, but you do get another, another kick, built-in spell, which, honestly, I think that makes this better than Time Spiral. Honestly. Yeah. In, like a, in a conventional vintage deck, I think this is better. Well... I'd rather have the flashback simply because... Here's why. The main reason is because there's a good chance it gets countered, and then you've got a backup, mm-hmm. right? Your opponent has a, has a tough decision. They let it resolve. They counter it. If they let it resolve, you get you, you get the card you wanted. If they counter it, then next turn you're gonna be playing this for three, half the mana. So it's kinda neat. It's nice. I don't think that that, that combo decks are set up. You know, maybe if like fast bond is unrestricted, mm-hmm. then we can, you know, get back into the draw seven days. It maybe like fast bonds unrestricted and misstep is restricted. I don't know. It's a pretty intriguing card. Um, why don't you just run a quick search? Has Time Spiral appeared in any Vintage Top 8s in the last year and a half? No. Say since 2017. No, the last time it Are you was. sure of that? According
0: to TC decks, the last time it was was in 2017.
1: Okay, so it's been quite a while. Um, then that probably means this isn't going to see any play, but there's always that chance that this is something that you could uh, get into the graveyard. You know what you know, I was thinking about when I first saw this card, Kevin? I was thinking about Eric Becker's Tropical Storm deck. All right. Which... Uh, yeah, which use a pair of bazaars in, uh, in a in a blue green storm deck. You know, if you can like, you can get some value from that, right? Bazaar, get the mana in play. Just put this in the graveyard. Flash this back. Boom.
0: Yeah. You know, true.
1: That's not. That's pretty intriguing, honestly.
0: Well, I like your point that I think you you passed by pretty quickly earlier, but that this is I'm moving a million miles. But this an hour, is actually but yes. represents <laughs> two time spirals, right? If you need a resilient threat again in a control matchup, this is a good card to pull up. Granted, it's slow, right? It's tricky. But those matchups tend to go longer. And if you're the sort of DPS-style deck that's bringing in ancient tombs in certain matchups, then that helps defray the cost a little bit. But if you run this out and your opponent pyroblasts it, you've got another copy sitting right there Are? in your graveyard. Yeah.
1: Also, if your opponent duresses or thought seizes it, you know if this if the if we get back into a, a an era where there's a like let's say misstep is restricted and we get back into an era where there's a lot of targeted discard, this becomes like you just basically cannot thought yeah, seize this good card. Good point. It's duress imperviable. <laughs> is that a imperviable? word? impermeable and impervious. I think I conflated two words. I like it. <laughs> imperviable.
0: <laughs> I think that that is reminiscent of the flavor text here, which is the present is a matter of perspective. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> True you know, it's enough. funny. This art, this card, and this art awesome. looks like a vintage champ's prize.
1: It does. It looks like a mix of the Time Walk painting yep. and the Time Twister yep. painting, or something. It's it really does feel like a vintagey card. <laughs> um, so, unfortunately, I'm just sad this is going to see more play in Legacy than Vintage, but.
0: Well, and in the vintage context but, at so, 6 mana it's competing directly with the recently released Bolas's Citadel 2.
1: Oh, good point. Um before we move on from this though, you know, there is a slight possibility that anything with discard outlets could use this. So we I mentioned bazaar. What in storm decks right now has any filtering? Is there anything that does filtering? Like just <sighs> you can just bin this. Uh, is there like any I mean Discard card you know. There's like careful study as a filtering card. You've
0: got, um, well, you've got windfall and wheel, right? Which by that's definition true. that's true. Um, and you've got some effects that don't see a lot of play. You said careful study. I was thinking about some of the surveil cards that came out recently, which haven't really been good enough to, to cut it. You obviously, your restricted lion's eye diamond. Um, it wouldn't take much, would it? Between wheel and windfall and LED, it's not. It wouldn't be hard to set this up as a one of. In that kind of deck,
1: yeah, you could see this as a one of. It's also a, it's a, it's a sorcery. It's also a burning wish target. Yep. Um.
0: Oh oh, if you were like a uh, burning tendrils deck, oh, you yeah. oath this up.
1: Oh god, that's so cool! Wow, that's that is awesome. Actually. It really
0: is. Yeah, you could
1: burning tendrils put this in in the main deck cart way. Yep. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, you oath up. God, you could, you could do all kinds of things. Uh, oath up gristlebrand. Flash this back if the situation's right. Yeah,
0: that's a great point. And burning tendrils has made a top eight this year. Back in February, really, yeah, it, was a, wow. it was a roguish list. I
1: wonder if this is good enough to play as one of in that deck. It, Maybe? it seems
0: actually almost inevitable. It seems like if you're burning oath, you would play one in the main and one in the board, <laughs> right? Because you want to be able to have <laughs> the oath effect and you want to be able to burning wish target.
1: God, flashback is interesting.
0: Yeah, that's cool.
1: Really, is interesting. I'm not thinking of anything else that has a kind of like uh, filtering effect, but if the tropical storm ever comes back. <laughs>
0: well, this frantic search, right? Hasn't been played in a while.
1: There you go. That's what I was looking for in yeah. my head. Yeah, that kind of effect. It's pretty weak. Pretty but weak. That kind well, but of you
0: effect buy back gets, the, um, the card disadvantage. Yes, the cost. This. Yep. That's actually really interesting. You know, that uh, turn one, uh, underground sea to rescue. Turn two, play an ancient tomb. <laughs> Frantic search and time spire, or you know, Echo Vions. You're you're right there. <laughs> cool. Well, at any rate, so I think you're going with zero right now, but we're acknowledging that this is probably going yeah. to playable in in the correct archetype.
1: I'm gonna buy some. That's yeah. for sure. It's
0: pretty cool. I'm
1: gonna I'm gonna go online and get some nice. right now. In fact, <laughs> you might want to wait till the
0: set's released. The prices will go down a bit. Fair enough. All right. Next is Cabal Therapist B for a creature horror. It's a one-one with menace. At the beginning of your pre-combat main phase, you may sacrifice a creature. When you do, choose a non-land card name, then target player reveals their hand and discards all cards with that name. So this is a creature version of Cabal Therapy, which you get to effectively, quote-unquote, flashback for free every turn. And it's a 1-1 with Menace, which is kind of cute. Good at pressuring Planeswalkers, I guess, which is somewhat relevant in the Narset era.
1: I mean, the fundamental, I guess, the not the fundamental. The obvious question is: Will this see play in Dredge?
0: I think that's you know I think that's a c- reasonable question. Yeah,
1: yeah. That's I mean I'm not saying it's reasonable. I'm just saying it's the obvious okay. question. <laughs> and it, I mean because they gener- Dredge generates so many creatures, you know, so many tokens, you know, Narkomeba that kind of thing that you could just this could become just mind twists, You know, if this resolves, I certainly also think that this could boost a Grixis Pyromancer style deck it becomes really exciting with that kind of deck. Yeah. Because this is pre-combat, so you can just start wipe, you know, turn after turn, wiping your opponent's hand. They'll just never have a hand if you have this in Pyromancer in play. They can never hold counter magic.
0: Yeah, that's true. Now, granted, the the, the, the original card Cabal Therapy already plays pretty well at that role, right? Well enough to have yeah. the the deck be based on it, it for several months in prior years. Um, and that doesn't see any play anymore. I think that because of the bombastic nature of the format, that targeted discard is at kind of an all-time low in terms of its utility if you're not immediately winning the game so i don't think the grixis pyromancer model works in current vintage especially post london when there's all these draw sevens that are anticipated meaning the top of your opponent's deck is just unpredictable and possibly game winning in so many matchups
1: i don't know i think it actually cuts the other way i think the fact that the london mulligan exists means that you can you have a greater chance of hitting a card and of naming the card correctly i think actually cabal therapy is better yeah in a london mulligan but those, we're but, not saying on. the same thing though i know uh, but one other point i just want to get this out there there is one drawback to this kevin which is that although it doesn't require an attack it triggers at the beginning of your pre-combat main phase which means you cannot get the benefit the turn you play it
0: yeah and i think that's huge i think that combined with the fact that cabal therapy is already not widely played or, or really good enough outside of dredge of course it's, the, the Grixis Pyromancer is not good enough right now. I think that's the death knell for this card. I don't think this makes Ouch. a new deck or a new strategy good enough that we couldn't already be uh, playing today.
1: Ouch, okay.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go zero on this. I think it's worth considering, like, this could be a foil to certain control mirrors or something in the future with the right archetype. There's a reason why Grixis Pyromancer was good for a while, right? Right. But I don't think the time is now for this. Okay. Are you in for zero as well? I am. Alright, let's move on to a fun one. Bizarre Trade Mage.
1: These have been fun. <laughs> These have all been fun. <laughs> to
0: you, creature, human, wizard. It's a 3 4 with flying.
1: It's Serendib of Freed's power and toughness and exactly. mana cost. And flying. When Bizarre Trade Mage enters
0: the battlefield, draw two cards, then discard three cards.
1: So it's 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 as if uh Serendip Befried in Bazaar Baghdad had this a baby. This is
0: like this is like how much Arabian Nights can you pack into one card? <laughs>
1: <laughs> and the reference the like the art references are just uh, like overwhelming well, and, the number of Arabian Yeah,
0: and check out the flavor text. He traded a lamp for a scepter, the scepter for a ruby, and the ruby for a simple rug. <laughs> 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 this Perfect. card is just overflowing yep. with historical flavor in that sense. I love it. It's great. And mechanical flavor, right? Um,
1: for sure. Um, what do you think? I mean, what bizarre Baghdad trigger? What do you think? I
0: think that there are a couple of contexts in which you should evaluate this card. I think by default, one is dredge where you're not going to be casting it, but you could reanimate it for its effect. But we already have an existing and in my opinion superior way to get that effect which is through Sun Titan, right? reanimating or gristle, or brand. gristle brand too yeah. so i don't think it it, it doesn't pass the, the bar in dread i think it's worth considering in survival for those situations okay. where you have survival and you want to do something bombastic because i think this if you i should say actually now that i think about it strike that i should say in situations where you don't have survival if you get a survival hand in that deck and gets force of willed right you can get into yeah. awkward situations where you're just looking for the next engine card
1: bizarre yeah. yeah or survival
0: and a one of of these would be reasonable at that in that this is a great top deck in that situation you draw this you play it yeah you draw two cards oh look there's a there's a, a hollow one you discard two Vengevines, play your hollow one you've played two spells the venge vines come back right this is this gets the engine going right and it's a creature so it synergizes with Vengevine. right it's a creature that you only need to find one hollow one to trigger your venge vines with or if you have four mana, you could do this and then play a death Deathrite or a, a Root Walla and get going again. So couple, I think there's some utility a couple, as a one of there.
1: Well, allow me to uh, poke some holes in your logic there. All right. First of all, if you're playing as a one of, you're not going to be relying upon it in any way. <laughs> that's true. That's it, really meaningful. Um, number two, um, I, I just don't think three four is really cutting it in, in vintage. You know, obviously Delver doesn't even see play right now, and that's a you know the three power, but it's it gets you close. Um I think um this is the kind of card that that you kinda of want to it's not really I don't think this is a vintage playable, but it's the kind of card where you want like it would have been sweet to see it in like those madness decks like mm-hmm. circa whatever, yeah. two thousand whatever it yep. was. They have like the flashback cards and the basking root yep. and all that yep. kind of thing. It would have been that. really fun
0: in um, those decks with the Mongrels, the root wallas and the Roar of the Worm type stuff, yeah. And yeah, by today's standards, yeah. you'd be playing Ancient Grudge. Yeah, that would have been fun.
1: So, I, I mean, that's kind of what this kind of reminds mm-hmm. me of. I mean, the fact that Bizarre exists kind of just pushes this beyond the horizon of modern, of vintage, rather. So,
0: I think, I'm think i a zero. I think that your assessment of the power and toughness, while somewhat relevant, is kind of missing the point. This is an engine card. It's This thing could be a one-two, and everything I st- said would still apply. The point is, is it's a creature... That gets you one trigger, for, not one trigger. Gets you half of the trigger condition for a Vengevine. Has a good chance of finding you another castable creature and synergizes with Hollow Ones and Vengevines to begin with. Right? That's what I mean. It's it's not it's not a weak creature in the survival deck. It's an additional engine card. It's a ninth, maybe tenth engine card. Right now, granted, it's three mana. You can't play a lot of these, and it's it's even harder to cast if you've got a Bazaar. But those decks are winning if they got Bazaar. I like this for. Corner case situations in survival, maybe. Granted, that deck's getting more tools, right, with the Oaf, and it's already flushed with things it could do, so this might not be good enough in the top 10 things that deck can do with its survival. But it is an engine card in that sense. I don't think it's playable anywhere else. I don't think it's right for Dredge. We've already got better tools at that role. So if this is going to see play, it's going to be very scant numbers, probably only in survival, and that's really probably only if people are looking to be adventurous. So I would say the over-under here is one. And I'd like to go out on a limb here and say one, but to be perfectly honest, there's so much going on with this set. (laughs) We're predicting so many other huge playables and impactful things that I just don't think there's going to be time for this. So I won't be surprised if it's non-zero in the future, but I'm going to go zero for now. Next up, Scrapyard Recombiner for three generic mana, artifact, creature, construct. It's a zero-zero, but it has modular two. So it enters the battlefield with two plus one plus one counters, and when it dies, you can put its plus one plus one counters on another target artifact creature. Then, its activated ability is tap and sacrifice an artifact. Search your library for a construct card, reveal it, put it into your hand, and then shuffle your library.
1: So to understand how good this is, I need to know what constructs exist. I assume in preparing for this, you've got a list of constructs for us to consider.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So relevant ones that see vintage play include chief of the foundry that that's a good yeah one. they include Hangerback walker right wow they include okay, I'm excited. a little bit more retro but cool forge master is on that list
1: called Forgemaster forge master is a construct
0: mm-hmm. holy smokes <laughs> so is metalwork colossus which we've talked about in the past but hasn't really gotten there metal worker you know the mana producer is a construct
1: metal worker is retroactively a construct yep. What wow. other creatures
0: are mere battle sphere is if you need to go wide wow yep. Scrap Trawler, which we've discussed, and actually has some pretty good synergy yep. with the Recombiner here because you can, there's some graveyard interactions, right? Then Steel Overseer, of course. Wow! Yeah. And not of course. <laughs> wow! Traxos, Scourge of Krug. Oh Triskelion, my god! Okay. Vo- wow! Voltaic Construct, Voltaic Servant, Walking Ballista.
1: Okay, so the core of the modern agro workshop agro deck, yeah, creatures are all constructs. What? Hangerback Ballista, Chief.
0: And um, um overseer. Trike and Overseer. So notable exceptions are um, Ravager, which is a beast, Revoker, which is a horror, Lodestone Golem, which yeah. is a Golem.
1: Did you sorry? Did you say Foundry Inspector and Chief of the Foundry are both constructs or just one?
0: Yeah, both Chief of the Foundry and Foundry Inspector are constructs.
1: So this card comes into play functionally as a two two or uh and it has modular, so it can give its power yep. away. Um and Turn after turn, oh, you have to sacrifice an artifact to find one, but you can basically be sacrificing, like, a mox and turn it into a hangar back, and, and then turn the hanger back into a bunch of tokens that you can then turn into more yep. things. Uh, yeah, curving, like, hanger very- back
0: into uh, Steel, uh, Chief of the Foundry, or Foundry, I'm sorry, uh, Steel Overseer is a good way to get an instant team out of this.
1: Yeah. That sounds pretty interesting. I mean, I think the main problem is those shops decks are all about pressure, and this is a turn after turn thing. Yeah. So it's probably not good enough. But if like a Forge Master deck ever comes back into into the meta game, this would be a card I would consider. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's worth noting too that other good engine cards like Metalworker and Chief of the Foundry, yeah, both satisfy this. So this is a really quality t- turn one play. You could definitely go long in a lot of matchups with this as a turn one play. Just workshop this next turn, mocks turn it into a Hangerback, as you said, or get a Ballista if you need an answer. You just have a relatively reliable stream of threats and answers with this, which is pretty nice. I don't think it's right for the current batch of decks. The current batch of decks are so heavily Karn-focused and running very few yeah. specific creatures, right? If it's not an Eldrazi deck, it's it's not running the whole package of uh, like Heartbound Ravager, and Overseers. It's normally just some Ballistas and some Revokers these days, which means there's kind of no place for this card in that Build. And I don't think this helps. This doesn't provide a lot of utility in the mirror, which I think is a key threshold for playability of workshop cards. Mm. When you're in the, like the Karn mirror, you don't want an activated ability. You don't want to load up on more activated abilities, especially ones that don't answer Karn very well. So yeah, I think this is a zero right now, but I would keep my eye on this for the longer term if the winds of the format change and the intricacies of like workshop mirrors and workshop versus Xerox change. Are you comfortable with zero right now? I am. Okay. So this next card is a fun one. And I know I think I've said that for half of them. But I must admit that I'm not exactly sure how to introduce this card. See, I went out on Twitter and asked my followers what they thought about the pronunciation for this card. And I got a very good response from one Natmos, our friend, Team Serious member, and former Wizards R&D member, who contributed to the development of this set, as we've alluded to before. He's on record via Twitter as saying that, well, let me let me quote him. Nat says, if you've ever played the PC game Gunman Chronicles, it should sound like that game when you're underwater.
1: <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> but
0: he further clarified that he'd go with a very guttural combination of ho and gak. So I'm not going to make a disgusting noise for, our, oh, for oh, the gack. benefit of our audience, okay. but let's just call this ho and move on. <laughs> Envision me saying this in a very skexy like disgusting way. Hogak, Arisen Necropolis, 5 Golgari Golgari. For a legendary creature avatar, Hogak is 8-8. Eight, eight. You can't spend mana to cast this spell. It has Convoke and Delve. You may cast Hogak, Arisen Necropolis, from your graveyard, and it has Trample. So, we have a 7-mana 8-8 eight, eight Trampler that you can cast from your graveyard has Convoke and Delve, which means you must be tapping two black or green creatures, and then either five other creatures or delving five cards to cast it.
1: Are there any other cards in Magic that have this first sentence statement?
0: Short answer is no. There have been a number of examples of restrictive mana costs that restricted how you can cast things. I'm thinking of things like Mir Superion, which says you can only spend mana produced by creatures to cast it. So you yeah. can't you can't tap lands for it, but there's never been this exact restriction that you can't spend mana. This is the most strange and out there restriction. So this is extreme, but not entirely unprecedented.
1: <laughs> okay, well, um, let me cut to the chase. So in a graveyard strategy like Dredge or Survival, how how much does this does this? How many resources do you have to spend to get this into play? Basically, how? Quickly?
0: Yeah, the key bottleneck here is that you you have to produce the two colored mana, which can't be done with delve. So it must be done yeah. with convoke. It means you have to have two creatures that are either black or red creatures. Yeah. That's the key bottleneck So
1: that's easy that's easy with zombies, but it's not easy so easy in in survival because your creatures from the graveyard are basking, well, they're basking we all of Vengevine or hollow one.
0: Um neither black nor well, red. Well, that deck plays death shamans usually too, but Oh, good yeah. point. So death rite shaman's good at casting this.
1: So answer the question I originally posed though.
0: So this is I think this is a in a dredge context, this is pretty reliably a turn two cast, right? Between Icarid and Bloodgast, you can pretty reliably huh. have two black creatures in play if you're not being thoroughly disrupted, right? In the face of Leyline or something, that the, the equation completely changes. In my opinion, the biggest challenge with Hogak here is that it doesn't fight Cage well. No, it does now, not. Now, if it's still in your hand and you get two black creatures somehow you could cast it I suppose in the face of a cage but that means you've already gotten wait, two wait, black creatures how? yeah I mean like blood gas and stinkweed I don't know I don't know so this is the, this does not play the gurmag angler or molder how Hulk. can
1: you play it from the graveyard with a cage no, of it's, that's I'm, why I, I said if it's still in that. your
0: hand you'd have to get creatures oh, and hand. keep this okay. in your hand yeah you can delve yeah.
1: yeah um it also can't be played with lavinia either
0: <laughs> Yes, Lavinia's second trigger will always counter this, by definition, because Hogak says, you can't yep. spend mana, and she says, if you didn't spend mana. So, yeah, 100%. Uh, you can still cast it, but it's going to get countered every time. Yeah, so this is in the family of Gurmag Angler and Mulder Hulk in terms of ways for Dredge to use its resources in the face of a cage to still put a big threat I, out, but...
1: I guess. Yeah, because of Delve. Yeah. yeah.
0: But given but the requirement it, to have creatures right. in play already, it's a terrible answer for Dredge against Cage.
1: Yeah. I had forgotten, but it, what was it two years ago, Dredge went through that summer, where that was the dominant Dredge yes. strategy, where it was all Hollow One, Gurmag yes. Angler. This, I guess, is in that in that class, except I think it's just worse than Gurmag yeah, Angler. Yeah,
0: I think you're right. I think it is. Gurmag Angler, you can just play a land and delve and cast it. This is much more restrictive, slightly larger, of course, but not worth going through the hoops for, I don't think.
1: Yeah, it's nice that you can cast it from your graveyard. That's the one thing that's cool. Yes, it is. Is the Germa so as such? It's kind hand. of
0: I don't know another big game one threat. Pretty reliable to cast game one, honestly. Like if you're just in the middle of turn two and you've therapied twice, gotten a couple of zombies, it's pretty easy to just delve five and tap your two zombies and play this out of your graveyard, right? I mean, yeah. in the face of I don't think you'd in want the to... face of hate. This is bad, but in the game one context, it's a oh, super and by reliable. The way,
1: by the way, you can also pitch this to Force of
0: Vigor. Oh, and Icarid. <laughs> so yeah, you're right. Pitch this, this could be another green card to support Force of Vigor in the future. That's interesting. <laughs> well, I think this. I think Dredge doesn't need more of this. Right. This is the kind no, of card that's winning more. This, I think.
1: I don't really think this is very useful in survival either. I mean, survival already has the Vengevine and the and has Wonder. If it needs a, them to have Evasion, I just don't think there's a premium on that right now. Yeah,
0: I'm with you as well. I don't know. I think this is very close, but...
1: Yeah, it's on the outside looking in.
0: Especially with the, the other external pressures that the format's putting on these decks, right? We've already reviewed Force of Negation and Force of Vigor in terms of dredge. You know
1: what? I'm, I'm going to go non-zero. It's, it's got to appear in one of these top eight somewhere. <laughs> I'm going to go one. <laughs> right. I mean, seriously, it's just some rando is going to play it and it's going to get there.
0: So. Well, I think it, there's a possibility. I'm going to go with zero still, but that's a, a nod to the fact that there's so much else going on in the format right now what's next i'm excited to talk about ren and six for red green legendary Creature legendary planeswalker ren three starting loyalty return plus one return up to one target land card from your graveyard to your hand minus one ren and six deals one damage to any target minus seven you get an emblem with instance and sorcery cards in your graveyard have retrace this card This card is so bananas.
1: (laughs) It's so crazy. It really is.
0: So let's talk about this mana cost, right? Red-green, on its face, is not a very common mana cost in Vintage these days, but it's imminently reasonable, right? Rug can produce this mana with reliability. Any deck that plays Ancient Grudge with reliability can pay this mana cost, and that's a common card in certain decks. So I think the mana cost is reasonable. The decks that can play it are pretty narrow, right? Between Rug and maybe Oath and a few other builds of things like uh, the four-color Leopold deck. But that's not an indictment. I think this effect, this combination of effects, is incredibly synergistic with Rug and what it's trying to do in certain matchups. I think that, for example, against a more aggro-based shop deck that's trying to deny you resources, this is a fantastic play for Rug on turn two. Especially if you, can, if you interacted already on turn one. Force of Will, Lightning Bolt, maybe and then this basically renders your opponent's wastelands terrible for the rest of the game. But, but better than that, it's a, it's, a, it's a draw engine, right? You can just plus one and get card advantage every turn if you've got a fetch land. Yeah. Now, it's not, it's not without its drawback, right? It's still a planeswalker. It can still be attacked, and they can kill it. But the fact that this can come down and get you a land back on turn two is great in that kind of matchup. It's so bananas. Or it could come down yeah. and shoot down a naked ballista or a naked uh, ravager or a naked revoker is really nice. And then I don't want to be magical Christmas land about it, but this ultimate is highly, highly relevant. An emblem that makes instances of sorceries in your graveyard have retrace—that is powerful magic, especially in a deck that's already a deck fading deck. Wow, this is a serious, serious threat. And if you're playing rug like in the mirror match, this is enormous. This shoots down snapcasters and opposing pyromancers. Yes, it, yeah, it does damage to any target.
1: Frexian pyro- revokers. Yeah, and it shoots down opposing this, narsets
0: yep. at one which is relevant if you need it to. And, the again, the plus one, it's just plus one card advantage every turn. Like, this is incredible if you've got yeah. Dak Faden online.
1: Well, the most obvious application in my mind is in a lands deck. There's no creatures, and all it wants to do is wasteland the opponent every turn until they get, stop playing lands. <laughs> and then if they do get creatures in play, they can ping the Pyromancer instead. So, I mean, this seems to me like an automatic inclusion into a lands deck. Well...
0: I agree with you about the automatic part. I don't agree with you that that's the most obvious place in Vintage, but uh, it is very synergistic.
1: Well, well, I mean, there's lots of places it yeah. can go. I just think it's the most obvious. Well, it has the I most mean, I would, overall I synergies. Would argue,
0: I think you're right. It does have the most overall synergies. Well, actually, you know what? I w- now that I think about it, I would challenge that. I think Rug Xerox uses every part of this card in a way that lands doesn't even do. Lands makes better use of...
1: Because it has Strip Mine and Wasteland, well, and it has all the fetch But no, yeah.
0: no, what I'm getting at is it lands doesn't abuse the ultimate here the way xerox would yeah that's that's my point is that in lands yeah you could run ratchet this thing up turn over turn but you could conceivably never ultimate the thing because you didn't want to or it's not good enough like what are you going to do retrace your life from the loam you've already got all your lands in your hand the the point is that xerox can go completely bonkers with this once you get to uh the ultimate level it's a.
1: God, this is such a great keeper card.
0: <laughs> it really is. This is an incredible. Yeah. This is an incredibly subtle um, Weissman School card, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I, I just think I, I'd love to play lands with this. I just want to see how that rolls. <laughs> I might even consider playing like crop rotations to try and get strip mine going. Yeah. You know, with, because the, the lands deck, think about this the lands deck can play with like exp- exploration and fast yep. beyond. Which means that they can get, you know, you get the land that you, you know, like you can wasteland, you know, twice the wasteland you normally have uh-huh. and one that you've replayed. Yeah. This, so, so this
0: functions, in, in the way you're describing it, functions very similar to Life from the Loam in many matchups for that deck. Which yes, is very key. Yes. Yeah. A Life from the Loam that you don't have to pay two mana for every turn. <laughs> so You can use your mana right. for other things.
1: And then once you get to ultimate, then, you know, GG.
0: I think this card's really really cool. I think it's it's actually a shame that we got the announcement for the London Mulligan after we knew about this card because I look forward to Grindy games with this card <laughs> and the London Mulligan <laughs> I'm not sure doesn't, I doesn't let itself I'm to that. I'm not
1: sure I'm looking forward to any game state that I'm experiencing with this in play unless I'm playing with it. <laughs> I do not want to be on the receiving end of this card. It sounds miserable. <laughs> but uh, that's
0: I mean that's I, in my opinion I that's a point. sign of a, a really good playable card.
1: <laughs> Strip mine is my least favorite one of my least favorite cards in Madden Yeah. Here. I think it's absolutely miserable. I understand. But its I mean it's essentially crucible is what we're talking about here. Yeah. It's it's a crucible it's a two mana crucible which is just I mean awesome. <laughs> in fact, I think it's just better than crucible because of the the uh
0: It certainly serves yeah, it certainly serves more roles. Goes in totally different decks of course, but um yeah. So, I mean, I don't want to sell a short here, but I think we should try to predict this card because we talked about Rug, we talked about lands, which lands is not really a factor in our calculus in terms of quantity.
1: It should be. <laughs> lands has a number of top eights last year. There's no reason to see it couldn't come back because of this.
0: So let me try to calculate the... Um,
1: oh, and by the way, here's another green card. Oh, <laughs> nice. For force of vigor side. Nice.
0: Board. You're right about that. Wow. The hits just keep on coming. So let me try to calculate the possible places for this, right? Using... Uh, a card that would almost certainly be competing for space in the same archetype in Life from
1: the L- Let me just go through them. Um, you could play this theoretically. I mean, the-, the decks that could theoretically play this are Bug, no, Bug with R, Bug R, which has Wastelands and Strip Mines. is that ne- very natural place for that, actually. <laughs> um, lands, Survival, Oath, Rug. And those are really the main places. Yeah. Also possibly in a Hate Bears-type deck. But those, I mean... I mean, sir, Planeswalkers are just naturally good in oath decks. Obviously, the problem with the oath deck is the oath decks don't have actually. If you oath, you can get any land you want, but they don't really have like wasteland usually right. that kind of thing. I
0: you don't know? think that's a limiter um, though. I mean, I don't think you have to be a wasteland deck. I think you're better, but I think you can just be a fetch land deck.
1: But that that's a lock. I mean, the wasteland recursion with this is event with strip mine is eventually just a lock. I mean,
0: that's within the reason. With, there's with, plenty of basic lands and moxen in vintage. I've played against lands. That's why in, I said strip mine. Well, okay. <laughs> I mean, so almost most decks in vintage are strip mine decks. Like the decks that would be willing to cast this card are probably have access to a strip mine.
1: Yeah. So I mean, in bug R, it's going to be incredible, especially with the Null Rod creature. You know, you could play this and they just get there pretty quickly. You know.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. People are going to get run over by this plus Oof. I bet. <laughs> Big yeah. time. So to your point about lands, I looked up Life from the Loam, and Life from the Loam has made three top eights so far this year, one of which was in February, so it's really only two in the last three months.
1: But, so there's two, two land decks in the top, three, top eights, but, but if land gets significantly better because of this card, then that calculus has to change. Well,
0: I mean, I think I, that's agree on face value, but I also don't think that's physically possible in the face of the London Mulligan. And everything else that's happening <laughs> yeah. in the format. No, the, yeah. the collective winds of vintage do not favor lands, even though this card is really cool. <laughs> um, but um,
1: I'm going non-zero on this. Oh well, I'm going oh, heavily by the way, non-zero. How good is this a land? Yeah, I mean, a, like a rug landstill might also really like this. Yes, landstill, yes. landstill yeah.
0: could. Yeah, landstill is the kind of deck that's not trying to fully deny you lands, right? But but yeah. wants this consistent if if you placement played, style card advantage.
1: Yeah, if you play this and then standstill, I mean, it's just in, immensely powerful. Yeah, definitely,
0: so. definitely. All right. So, in terms of things that are going to move the needle on our numbers, though, in my opinion, Rug Xerox is the l- greatest contributor.
1: I don't. I just don't, I don't see this being used in Rug Xerox. Really? Honestly. Why not? Yeah. This is, I just, I think that the premium on cards is so, what are you going to cut for this?
0: Well, that's a fair question. You're going to probably end up cutting a threat, one of your pyromancers. A uh, pyromancers?
1: Yeah. I, I, I just, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe.
0: If it's not played in the most common you know, red, green deck in Vintage, then uh, what do you think the primary driver's card. Okay. What do you think the primary drivers of its contribution to the Vintage format are going to be then?
1: I assume that Bug will continue to be at least 5% of the metagame. Cool. And I think at least between a quarter to a half of those decks will be running Ren.
0: Yeah, so 5% times, let's call it either 25% or... or Just go with yeah. a
1: third. A third of
0: 5%. So basically about 2%. So you're, you're shooting for about 2% of top eights
1: so I, for bug decks, I think that's about the many, the, those... Now, uh, there's a caveat. The caveat is that the the combination of cards provided by Modern Horizons, Collector Oath, Force of Vigor, and Ren, could boost Bug slash Bug R's overall metagame percentage up to 8, 10, 11, 12%. I mean, we've certainly seen metagames where Bug is like 10, 12%. In fact, there have been times when Bug is the most, like, best-performing overall metagame yeah, deck. Yeah deck in the metagame so depending on how big bug gets ren as a coattail card could see its fortunes even higher up that's what i'd say
0: so in in you know if the average month is 4.3 weeks and we've got um and we've got uh eight top eight and there
1: are good reasons to think that bug is going to get an overall boost by the way
0: um can you elaborate on that
1: which I just did. I mean, collectors Oath is oh, the sorry. combination okay. of cards that are pr- You're like, new bug cards, is sure. one of those decks that's good against shops. It's good against um dredge, it always has been, right? Xerox gets weaker, you know, with the London Mulligan. I see no reason that bug couldn't have a larger overall metagame share post Modern Horizons, post London Mulligan than it has in the past couple of yeah. years.
0: Well, that we'll have to see about that. That's certainly possible. So, we're looking at a little over 100 decks, you know, per quarter top 8 wise, right? Four point three per yeah. month, eight each times three months, about a little over hundred. If you think that bug is in the five to ten percent range, it's you know, it's baseline is five, could go to yes. ten. Um, and if you think about you know about a third of those, maybe then we're looking at a third of ten percent. We're looking at three, maybe, maybe that's your baseline yeah, from that I particular think group of decks.
1: And I also think lands is going to be um,
0: you're looking at an uptick in lands.
1: Yeah, I think there's going to be an uptick in lands. Let me see how many lands there were last year. One, two. There are two in top eights. Out of how many total decks were there? There were. Uh, sh- let me actually do a sum. The total number of decks last year. There were 419 decks last year, and there were two were lands <laughs> in top eights. Yeah. So, and by the way, I just want to double check that math. 52 times eight. Does
0: that sound right?
1: 416. Sorry. So, because um, so, I had some, I had some double classified because they fell in the two categories. Well, so, there wasn't there wasn't so, a,
0: a challenge every week, was there?
1: Yes, this there was there last was? year. Okay, so they were about they were about um, a half a percent. Yeah. So I think I think it's reasonable to think that lands is one percent of the of every uh, vintage challenge going forward. Okay. So with Ren, so you're
0: looking at about three ish copies from Bug and
1: and every lands deck is going to have yeah. Ren. I just and, assume. And by
0: the way. so one ish so. copies from lands. Are there any other archetypes you think it's going to uh, show up in Oath?
1: Probably not. If there's a if there's a rug still type deck mm-hmm. or like a, you know then certainly it could that show up, certainly up there. That would
0: certainly be newish. And not entirely unprecedented, Didn't,
1: but... Yeah, I feel like um, Josh Pachusek used to play a lot of Rugland la- still, though. He certainly
0: has, yeah. And it would be a natural fit in that deck. Yeah. So, is there any other constituent to your prediction, then? Because I'm, I'm sounds like you're predicting about a no, four to five. Or, uh, it sounds like you're predicting four, yeah. at least.
1: Yeah, are you talking about over the course of the year or per uh, quarter? A quarter. Because then we've got to then divide it by, by four. Yeah. That's, 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 I think that's about well, right. That's I, exactly I was doing right. quarterly math for a,
0: the, the Bagar part to get to three. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, I think that's about right. Four or five is what I want to predict. I go either yeah. one. I'll go 4.5. I can I can predict off numbers. We haven't done it before, but I'll do it.
0: 4.5. 4.5. You're giving up the exact the exact hit, though, right? You've made it impossible to be exactly on. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, but, I mean, I, we're not wedded to cardinal numbers. It doesn't matter.
0: <laughs> well, suffice it to say, I think that some players will play this in Rug and Bug R. Uh, I agree with you on lands, but, I mean, the over-under there is one copy same with rug still the over under there is one copy i think that there's so much going on in the format right now that it's just so hard to predict everything this card doesn't match up well against in my opinion the post london metagame i mean at all really it's hard to wasteland people out in when they're playing narsets and draw seven but collector's oath calculate or complicates that math too yeah this card plays well with collector's oath if you have a I don't know, a, a bugar or a ruggish deck that has three wastelands in it, right? You, anyway, yep. so I think the, the, comp, the combination of factors means your target number is probably pretty close. I don't think that this card does what it needs to do in the post-London metagame in Rug, even though I think it's playable there. So I think I'm going to take the over. Gosh, it's tough. Card is so cool. I think I'm going to take the over, though, sounds- and, and go with a six. Okay. <laughs> I'll go with the cardinal number. I could have okay. taken five, you know, and really really penned you in there, but I decided <laughs> not to. All right, let's move Thank on you. to Archmage's Charm. You, 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 instant. Choose one. Counter target spell. Target player draws two cards. Gain control of target. Non-land permanent with converted mana cost one or less. Here's an interesting combination of effects that we haven't really had access to before. So it's straight up counter spell, which is effectively unplayable in Vintage. Mana Drain is on the outside uh, of playability it's definitely played but it's it's there obviously for its extreme utility and uh, efficiency in terms of mana production target player draws two cards is nice but that seems like a desperation move for this kind of format and then gaining control of a mock a death right shaman a token creature in every case you're way overpaying for that effect especially as in the face of something like dac Fade.
1: yeah i just don't see this this card is not playable in yeah. my opinion the, the fundamental barrier is the mana cost yeah Blue, blue, blue. There's that. There's nothing in vintage that costs that. Yeah. Nor has there ever been.
0: We've talked about before how desig- <laughs> there's no yeah, designated mana is actually the, a serious linchpin in vintage, and each one adds about one and a half to in progression to in addition after the first yeah. one.
1: And don't point out mind over matter to me. That's never seen. That never seen serious <laughs> no. vintage play. That was restricted without actually appearing in top yeah. eights. Yeah. So.
0: We've talked at length about how triple designated only works for black for very structural reasons, ritual-based reasons, right? We talked about that a lot in the Bolus Citadel review. Blue doesn't have access to that. So I assume you're going for zeros for the Archmage's Charm, right? Yes. Okay, cool. So let's move on and talk about one Mox Tantalite. This is uh, a spell without a mana cost, (laughs) for one. I would normally list the mana cost (laughs) here, but it's a blank. It's an artifact. It has Suspend 3 for zero mana, and it has Tap, add one mana of any color. So this is the Mox equivalent of Lotus Bloom. doesn't have a mana cost, so you can't cast it properly by using the stack unless you have some other ability that allows you to do so. You suspend it for three, three turns later you've got a a multicolor Mox. Steve, there's no surprise that this is quite slow and, and you'd have to use it in a very specialized way in Vintage. There's a reason why Lotus Bloom sees no play.
1: Well, what I think is interesting is that Wizards has kind of been a little bit on a splurge in terms of designing moxes of late. <laughs> we go years between moxin, right? We go from mox diamond to chrome mox to, um, uh, mox opal, which is the sixth best mox, <laughs> um, to mox amber in Dominaria. and Now we have mox tantalite.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Um, We've got lots of moxin of late.
1: I, I, I don't think this is better than, well, first of all, two, two points. So, I don't expect this to see any play, so I'm zeros on it. But there is that card that we I keep bringing up that was printed maybe <laughs> within the last two years or three years. That I think you're talking about three mana blue and As enchant- foretold, yeah. Blue and ch- Yeah, as foretold. Yeah. That can allow you to play this just straight out, right? Yep. Same thing um, for
0: Electro Dominance. Not a good rate yeah. for RR for a Mox, but still, yes.
1: Right. Um, it is interesting, though. I mean, obviously, th- three turns is an eternity in vintage, so this is just. You know, worse than Mox Opal, worse than Chrome, Chrome Mox. <laughs> yeah. um, but it, it's probably, I don't, do you think it's worse than Mox Amber? It probably is worse than Mox Amber. Oh,
0: almost undoubtedly. You can actually yeah. deconstruct in a way to make Mox Amber usable, like JVP and Baral and other things. Yeah.
1: Right. So this, this just makes uh, actually uh, Mox Amber not the worst Mox. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to point
0: out that if you're activating Tezzeret for zero and you want to get a Mox, this is actually the best one. It's better than all other mocks in good if point. you're putting it into because play from your library for free. Get any yep. color. And it has no other yeah. conditions once it's in play. It's yeah. the only, it's the only like multicolor point. mocks that has no other conditions to getting into play if you're doing it for free.
1: Unlike Chrome, Opal, or Diamond. Yeah, exactly. Right?
0: Okay, so we're zeros on max 10 right. Light, but that's a fun, uh, it's a fun history lesson there. Next up, we have five cards. And as soon as I say that, you can probably imagine which five cards they are. They are, and we'll probably quantify them separately, but we need to talk about them collectively. Uh, fiery islet nurturing pe- peatland silent clearing sunbaked canyon and waterlogged grove these are the new enemy color horizon lands each one of them taps for at the cost of tap and one life taps for a mana of either of their two colors and each one of them has colorless tap sack draw card just like horizon canopy steve i did the uh did the diligence of looking up horizon canopy in terms of vintage results zero top eights in 2019 but it had six top eights yeah. in 2018, mostly as part of Interesting. white-based Eldrazi decks that had one copy for card advantage purposes.
1: Oh, yeah, of course. It's great in white Eldrazi. Yeah.
0: So I'd like to just frame this up front to your eyes. Do you think vintage decks have been wanting this functionality? Because a blue-red Horizon Canopy is, is uh, if you wanted it, you've got it now for your Xerox deck.
1: So would we want blue Horizon Canopies? <laughs> right. Geez. Um, or perhaps
0: Bug Horizon Canopies, right? There's two yeah, different ones I mean, for Bug.
1: C- could a Landstill deck use that over time with Crucible? Why not? Why couldn't one of them be used in a blue deck? With all these, uh, you know, r- with, with uh, Excavator and with uh, Ren, why not, right?
0: You're right, this plays pretty well with Ren, and there's at least three different ones. No, there's uh, Technically, either four different ones here that could be put into a Ren deck, depending on your color combination, so that's definitely a possibility. Including the original Horizon Canopy, now that you mention it. But yeah. that would be Naya and not really great. One of these would almost certainly be superior to that.
1: Interesting. Now, these... Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose... It's it's just hard to imagine. I mean, first of all... I mean, the mana bases are so different than they... you know, <laughs> Yeah. ...tit these days. And this kind of effect, you basically would need to be, I think, in a really strong just two-color combination. Um, but if you were in two-color combination, I could see you adding one of these. It's,
0: you know... <laughs> We've talked about many times in the past the reasons why vintage decks, the, the, the Xerox and the Control decks tend not to be only two colors, right? Yeah. And there currently there isn't, so in that broad category of decks, there currently isn't a two-color deck only, right?
1: Unless you consider, like, White Eldrazi generic and white. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. funny.
0: And ironically, that's the color combination that already has Horizon Canopy. It gets two different ones well, now. So, this, you know, if you're a White-Black yeah. Eldrazi, then the new White-Black Silent Clearing is actually a superior card, but that's pretty, exactly. pretty narrow. Exactly. So, do you think any Xerox deck wants this effect? Do you want to have one of your lands that you can sack to draw a card?
1: Oh no, no Xerox decks won't okay. be using this. No what way. does
0: it change your answer if you switch to a bug or a bug R deck? Hard to yeah. say. Really so hard you to say. if you've got access to that excavator, you think maybe or rent.
1: I think. I think the. Yeah, I think the cost of them. Um, I think. I think fundamentally the cost of of the, the, the you know, especially in bug R, the the demand for colors of all the different forms place it imposes too much of a cost on using one of these, you know, the trade-off of the additional late-game card isn't worth it, even with Excavator and things like that.
0: These do produce the colored mana. I'm, am I understanding your point right?
1: No, but what I'm saying is... No, what I'm saying is um th- that you can't afford not to be running dual lands that can be fetched out th- in the right configuration. Oh, I see.
0: You can get bottlenecked in the wrong colors of mana just because you drew one of these. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, isn't that... How how different is that to have just having drawn a bayou, or maybe a better example is tropical island. Like you're you're playing bug R and well, you draw your trop.
1: I think the difference is that you you have to run so few of the dual lands, you know, and 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 more fetch lands that you you can't afford to like not be able to fetch out like you know the bayou that you need it because you decided to cut one bayou for this. I see what you mean. See so either saying? you cut yeah. a
0: bayou which makes your deck less reliable in those situations. Or you add this and now you've got two Bayou's, which has the inverse effect. You, you, you're more likely to draw right. a Bayou when you needed something else. Like yeah, a drop. I see yeah. your point. So you need that maximum tie, flexibility, yeah, especially in a 3-4 to four color deck. I see your point. That's what yeah. I'm saying,
1: yeah. You just said it much more efficiently <laughs> than I did, but so, yes,
0: succinctly. So we're agreeing that maybe a White Eldrazi or a White X Eldrazi deck would benefit from having a black or a red version of the card, but that hasn't been happening in 2019, basically. Yeah, and those decks are pushed powerfully yeah. to be mono color these days, thanks to Karn.
1: Right, and they really have a premium on generic yeah. too. I mean, I guess, I guess. So, which ones do they use? They w- they would use one that's white. What, what is it? They they would use the Silent Clearing here yeah. or the Sunbaked Canyon. Yeah. Sunbaked Canyon might actually just might be better because white red is pretty intriguing for um, Eldrazi.
0: Well, and I mean, white X Eldrazi or, or, has taken almost every color combination thus far, right? <laughs> Historically,
1: do you, Where's the white blue one? There's no. no these white, are only enemy
0: colors in this set.
1: Yeah. So that, if you wanted Lavinia, that would be the other one yeah. to consider. Yeah,
0: you're right. Ironically, that would probably be the most relevant one at the moment. I, so I'm struggling. Uh, the the top decks don't want this effect. The the, the, the Workshop, obviously not. Any car invariants, no. Outcome, no. Xerox, no. The Bug or Bug R are, are right on the fence. If they're an Excavator style or if they're running the new red card, yeah. then maybe there's one copy.
1: Maybe a Landstill yeah. would use one, maybe, like one. So the
0: over-under here feels like one, right? Agreed. In that light, I'm inclined to go with one, just because the opportunity cost for for certain decks, the opportunity cost is pretty low for adding one of these, right? Yeah, I could totally see people tossing a fiery eyelet into uh, one of the blue red many Xerox build.
1: Just to just to give us uh, something to have a contest over and rooting, I'll go zero.
0: <laughs> All right, fair enough. So I'm going to go one, just because I think the the utility is is very relatively high for low opportunity cost. All right. Last but not least, Prismatic Vista. I love this card. It's a land. It has tap, pay one life and sacrifice it, search your library for a basic land, put it onto the battlefield and shuffle your library.
1: Huh. They've created a fetch land that can find any basic that's land. That's right. This
0: is a That's pretty cool. This is a ostensibly five color or six targets if you count wastes, which you should. Uh, fetch land, which I love.
1: Card is is actually really fascinating. I mean, it it introduces design possibilities that I I don't know you know I don't know how much we pressed on that before. I mean, most decks, if you if you're if you're a two color deck, right? Just assume you're a two color mm-hmm. deck. It kind of raises the question: How much do you really need dual lands?
0: Yeah, agreed.
1: Right between like, let's say you're just blue white, and you have flooded strands, four flooded strands, and four of these. Do you really need you know, or blue red? Mm-hmm. You know, if you've got four scalding tarns and four of these in basics do you really need dual lands at all Do you need volcanic island at all i sadly i think the answer is yes
0: <laughs> I, I think it's <laughs> yes but i don't think it's sad it has everything to do with <clears throat> your expectations for how you sequence your colors right if you want to be able to play pyroblast yeah. on turn one and narset on turn two you need to have access right. to a volcanic island basically
1: yep i do think it's sad because i like the idea <laughs> of having a completely impervious mana base to wasteland well,
0: but I see your point. I, I still think that this ratchets up your ability. By yeah, I think this ratchets yeah. up your ability to functionally have such a mana base, though. I think it's very reasonable to think of a, let's say, a Jeskai deck that has one of each basic in the main, or maybe two in the main plus one on the side, right? That could yeah. very, very reliably so, be accessing all three colors just as your first three land drops. And if your deck is structured so, properly, that you can function on yeah. those three basics, then you're you're golden against the wasteland decks.
1: Yeah, the problem is you're still not going to be playing this over the over the um, other fetches. So I mean, just there's so many fetches. Uh-huh. You know, between like the Jeskai has. Tarn I don't entirely and, agree. You
0: know, Think about a Jeskai deck that has both red and white sideboard cards for a workshop matchup. So you matchup. would
1: you would max you would max out on. I guess you don't have to, but you could max out. So, so this is um, the only you're going to run flooded strand. Is, you're going to run. Yeah, this is the. Oh, this, this is, is the only saying. fetch
0: that allows you to play either preordained swords to plowshares or lightning bolt on the first turn. Through a basic, yeah. right?
1: But the but the downside is that you're not going to get not going to be able to get the dual end when you need it. <laughs> that's that's right. And I think that's pr- pretty pretty steep. I, I want to let's not resolve that, that just sure. yet because that's such a naughty it's, question. It's I wanna, really I tricky to begin with, with three slight...
0: colors involved. It's much easier to con- yeah, to, I want, to do with two.
1: Exactly. That's why I wanted to. I wanted to. Let's go with an even simpler question for mm-hmm. the moment. What if you've got like? Let's just talk about white Eldra- a deck like white eldrazi that's basically just two colors, like generic and a color or just two colors. Yeah. And assume uh, with White Eldrazi, it becomes pretty simple because White Eldrazi doesn't use... What's that uh basic land that generates generic... Yeah, what is that? Wastes. Yeah, it doesn't run right. that. But it could with this. So, for example... and well, Actually, that's not where I want I to know. go. But what that's I wanted to different. say first... What I first wanted to go was... So, if you were going to run a White Eldrazi deck that had, let's say, you wanted like... So, you got four Cavern and you wanted to run like... X number of planes, but just one or two fetchlands just to thin, right? Or X number of fetchlands to thin. Like, let's just say you had like a a, a shop, like just a colorless or shop deck. Let's not make it White Eldrazi. And you had X number of basics and you had X number of Mm -hmm. fetchlands. Well, then you would just play this over any of the other fetchlands, presumably. Well... Or some mixture thereof.
0: I think that's true, but I think you're kind of burying the lead on the terms of how this impacts White Eldrazi, right? This actually, because this is the first fetch waste. lands that actually gets yeah. both your colors, quote unquote, in yeah, that archetype. Because exactly. yeah. plenty of those Eldrazi lists have had a half dozen of basic planes in there, right? And they haven't been running the no, fetch lands true. to thin with. I think for for e- economy reasons, like they don't want to pay the life, right? And they also that's a deck that I wants to hit that, its land drops. I, I don't.
1: Yeah, I just don't. I think it's because actually, th- it's not because they don't want to thin. It's because they only have like four base four planes. The rest of the white mana is is, is basically like four cavern you know so yeah. this actually introduces the possibility of playing one wastes you know like you could play then two planes and the rest of this are are this yeah you know the rest of the white sources quote unquote it's are this it's tricky to balance no, but I,
0: it seems pretty obvious that this opens up capabilities that the existing mana base in that respect don't have
1: right but what i was trying to get at is something more like like mono red shops where like you've got your colorless sources from shops and yeah. like ancient tombs and you had like eight mountains <laughs> yeah. right you could use this instead of some of the mountains is what i was trying to get at absolutely know? and you would i don't know that they have or would but this is different than like one of the onslaught fetch lands because why because i guess because you could also get waste if you wanted i'm not sure what else but it's been it is this is yeah. the, go ahead sorry
0: it's, it's, i was just going to say that it's been several years since that kind of mana base existed yeah, in shops it's been so but this long. is perfect for that use absolutely if you've got six mountains in yeah. your in your shop deck, yeah, turn it into one waste and three mountains in two of these. You know, you could work with the numbers a little bit, but the point is, it it makes many opening hands that much better, that much more playable,
1: and it gives you a little bit of mirror resiliency, right? Mm-hmm. Because the wastes, you you go waste mocks, you know that you've got two mana sitting yeah, there, and which is is yeah. nice,
0: and it allows Crucible to do even more fixing for you in a way that it it was not able to do Couldn't in that archetype before. before. Yeah,
1: yeah. So that's actually what this opens up is it opens up the colorless it opens up the weight it, it becomes a fetch land for wastes in a basic land yeah. other basic land that we've never had before yeah. but I was also trying to imagine is there a deck that's like you know colorless X that would want this for thinning over an onslaught fetch land maybe maybe not mm, I, I mean I guess the the yeah I mean I guess the onslaught plus what was the other set that had the enemy color fetch yeah, was that car. set Zendikar, you know, you between the combination you wouldn't really. Are need you this. talking
0: about I don't know, are you talking about Merfolk? So,
1: oh, by the way, the Yeah, something like Merfolk, exactly right. You know, Merfolk does actually run Fetchlands. Yeah.
0: But this is so this is so, functionally equivalent to a flooded strand in a in a deck that's just all islands and wastelands and caverns, right? But
1: but, but one reason you would run it over over those is because number one, uh sorcerer's yeah. You don't want to get you want it you it's better to diversify. If you're running Merfolk yeah. You want you want to, you know, minimize the number of each of them, right? So you'd run one of all five of the, or all four of the... Um, yep. One, of, one each. of each. One of all Agreed. five. Yeah.
0: Yeah, good point. Sure.
1: Before you go to the number two of whatever the next is,
0: right? Yeah. So I, I agree with all these observations, but unfortunately there's such so, corner cases of the current metagame <laughs> that they're inconsequential. Well, Merfolk, <laughs> Merfolk,
1: Merfolk, let's see when Merfolk last did a top eight in a vintage challenge. I feel like it you know, so for, actually, there was a Mono Blue control deck that won a challenge in tw- in 2018, and then there were one, two, two Merfolk decks in top eights in 2018. I, so that's yeah, I count, three Mono I Blue count decks.
0: Three in paper as well, Merfolk top eights this that's year. That's six right there, then. And just for, oh, oh, just okay. for this, this year. Those decks, I was just like, looking at last exam- year. This is from this year. I count three in paper. Those decks tend to have about ten islands and no fetches. So they're not doing the thinning no thing finches. right now.
1: Okay, interesting.
0: But you're absolutely right that, that that does give you that capability in a deck that would want it.
1: Yeah, I don't see any Merfolk in Vintage Challenge Top 8s this year either. But I haven't actually uh, filled in the last two weeks. So.
0: so, But let's try and see what the greatest contribution, though, is really going to be in terms of our numbers. These when, Eldrazi...
1: I think we've hit well, the, I mean, Yeah, Eldrazi, certainly.
0: I, I mean, I, I agree we've got, we found good homes, but I don't think they're actually going to be the greatest contributions. Eldrazi is is almost all colorless right now because of Karn, right? Uh Murfolk is so, a very very small factor.
1: Here are the decks there's a, there's a simpler way to hone in on yeah. this. What decks don't run dual lands? Start there and then start excluding. Then from there what decks don't run dual lands but run basics. That's basically it. The two criteria what decks don't run dual lands but run basic lands. I mean
0: that's where you start. I, I agree that that's an approach, but I don't I don't understand why you're looking past dual land decks right now. Like my primary interest in this card is in a, a two to three color deck, a two point five okay. color deck, where I want to have access to basics more reliably.
1: I think that I think once you—that's the problem—is I think that even in two and three color decks, the cost is just too high, especially in three color. Well, but I think even in two, I think even in two color, like like bottlenecking yourself on this, well, like there are going to be there's games, no bottleneck there, on two colors, really. There, there actually I mean, is there's, the. the the bottleneck comes if you're running like let's say you you decide to fetch out a um a planes on turn yeah. 1 because you want to play I don't know fragmentize or swords yep. but then on turn 2 you need you need to play a, a No, mana I get
0: it. Don't get me wrong. Like I already gave the example yeah. of Pyroblast in the Narset. Those decks need duels. Yeah, but
1: I thought that was in a three-color deck. No, I was just yeah, talking exactly. about in a
0: two-color deck. You still need duels because yeah. that was in the framing of do you need duels still? Yeah, you do. But my point is imagine you're a two-color deck and your mana base is currently it's currently today it's like seven fetches. And four volcanic islands, and then like an island and a plane. I mean, island I guess, and the mountain. Yeah,
1: I guess the math. I guess the math shifts when you go from three to two. Exactly. And the, if you go to a two-color deck, then you add this because the best the, the best fetch land is the flood is the flooded on color right, fetch which land. Which you only have four. And of. then the next best one. Yeah. Then the next best one is actually that's close. <laughs> the next best one still might be an off-color fetch land because it can get any dual. Uh, it can get a dual or a basic. I get you. Whereas this. This can just get one of the. But two it has basics, everything to do so
0: with how you plan to I- sequence your mana in the wasteland matchups. Yeah. I could totally see Agreed. a two-color deck that is four on-color fetches, and it shaves some of the three off-colors and some of the four duels into some combination of these and other basics. Like you put a second but island you run main, this? and then you swap out your off-color fetches for these.
1: No, but the question is is a little bit more focused than that. It's like so you add the f- first. You start with the let's just say it's blue white just okay. for simplicity. You start with four Uh flooded strand. Then the next question is, are you going to be playing this or are you going to go to the next, like, tarn, rainforest, so on? Where do you start? If you're going to do a combination, you have to decide what's the next, what's the next priority? What would you rather have next?
0: I think you can't answer that question until you've answered what are your fetch, what's your fetchable land suite? Because if it's four, if it's. Well, let's just say for simplicity, you've got. Today it's going to be four tundras and an island and a plains, let's say.
1: Yes, let's just assume that. Yeah.
0: In the future, you might not want that as your fetchable base. You might want two tundras and three, three islands, islands and two plains, or maybe it's three tundras, yeah. three islands, and the plains, depending on your spell composition. Yeah, right?
1: or, or it could be it could be three tundras, two islands, and one plains. Yeah, that's simple. That's that's very plausible. Yeah. In
0: which case, the prismatic vista starts to become more attractive than a misty rainforest.
1: Yeah, but but the problem is the there's the situation. It's not just about reliability it's about how critical is certain sequencing I know, moments that, that was my point earlier
0: my point is what's yeah. your plan in your matchups right if your matchup plan requires yeah. you playing swords on one and mana drain on two then yeah tundra is still a necessary part of your plan but it's possible yeah it
1: becomes more right important, it's possible you your design. sideboard
0: plan in a workshop or a um, wasteland based matchup doesn't have that flow it's possible that you've you've dedicated your sideboard in the way it's constructed to all single designated cards where fetching up planes and then an island is going to work every time
1: got four floodstrands uh three other fetches and we've got three tundra and four basics right
0: three tundra four basics got it
1: yeah and the and the basics are three island and in, in one plains or you could do okay i guess it could make a difference if it's two island two plains
0: and it, it would and
1: possibly another <laughs> basic in the in the side so um assuming it's four Strand, the next question is is i think we have just to summarize is whether you add a flood a, a rainforest delta Flooded um, rainforest delta or tarn and or prismatic vista and just to just to yep. make it simple I'm gonna call it um, RDT RDT symbolizes rainforest delta tarn <laughs> and then vista is the other so the question is whether you would run three three RDT two RDT one RDT or zero RDT and then the flip side is the opposite number of yep. vista right that's the question yep. and I think I mean I th- what.
0: That's a question. Yeah. But okay. Well, I mean in
1: terms of just this this specific hypothetical. You know, we're thinking through okay. a two color deck, you know, how yep. valuable is Vista and, and uh, is Vista going to see any play. This is just helping us think this through, and I think it's I think it's quite an important hypothetical. And so the RDT you know ratio of RDT to Vista is actually really important. It could be three zero two one one two or zero three RDT to Vista. And I think the least probable Configuration is going to be zero RDT three Vista. So, okay. but I think the most probable is going to be two RDT one Vista, which means that Vista is probably going to see play. It's probably going to see play in in a two color deck. If I'm right about that,
0: it's. I think it's very likely. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And I also think that there. Are, well, and then there are many other hypotheticals in terms of how your fetchable land base is constructed based on your sideboard and your car and your spells and your plans for the the wasteland matchups.
1: Right. So, so I think it. I think in that scenario, we're going to be playing either two or one Vista, but probably not three. But I don't know. It's yeah. I, it's still possible. I just think I, you know. This, I also think. Go ahead.
0: I also think there's a scenario where the right thing to do is have one Vista in your sideboard.
1: Interesting. Right. It's just another way instead of another another basic. Yeah. That, yeah. That's
0: you've got the basic in the main. God, and that's you just so interesting.
1: More, this would be the first. That's a great access. point, Kevin. This would be the first time we've seen fetch lands on the sideboard, really. I mean, that's really interesting. You know where this actually could come up, Kevin? Oh, man. You know where this could really come up? In a blue-black TPS Dark Times deck. Dark Petition deck. Mm. Because those decks... You know, the Delta is obviously super important, but if you've got, like, three islands... Or, like, three... You know, two Swamp and two Island, beyond that, you really just want Vista. You know? You don't... That's... Wow! In that deck, Vista is way better than the fifth, fifth off-color fetch. Yes, it is. That's interesting. That's really interesting. Wow, we, I, I don't think I would have reached that point had we not done the hypothetical and you not mentioned the sideboard possibility. Like, if you, if you rewind back to those pitch-long those pitch decks from 2006, they had Delta. Yeah. They would have loved to have had this card.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Because the, that, those decks get bottlenecked at the double... Remember how many times you've had, like, double blue and you're just dying to play Dark Ritual? You would never have that problem with the with the Vista. And and those yeah, decks don't, for those, those decks. decks, because of Dark Ritual, don't typically need they don't have the mana drain problem or the Narset problem, you know? Yeah. So yeah. they just want basics.
0: <laughs> well, I think it's pretty clear that this card is very vintage playable. I think that what we've just gone through in terms of an exercise to talk about where you would want it and how you would construct your mana base, everyone's going to be doing that, <laughs> basically, for the foreseeable future. I get, this, this maybe hyperbolic. You don't have to, but <laughs> Your deck's still going to function if you don't. But this is where you get marginal utility, especially in two and three color decks that are trying to fight the Wasteland battle. Yeah, I think there will be implications here in terms of sideboard construction. Like, with access to this card, Haymakers in matchups that are single designated, like the force versus Shattering Spree discussion, oh, yeah. are influenced here, yeah. right? This favors force much, much more. And so I think there's long-lasting implications that might not be clearly represented in the numbers in the short term for, for various factors like for one thing the, the, the top two decks in the presumptive post-London metagame are not really Vista decks yeah. necessarily so there's that complicating factor Kevin. but I think this card is long term here to stay and it's going to be important to consider it in all your mana bases going forward. I
1: agree with everything you just said I think it, it's a great synopsis I just want to add one more thing there's one Dark mm. Petition Storm deck that's top baited uh, at Vintage Challenge this year according to my data okay. which was in early March its mana base was thirteen lands. It was one island, one library, four delta, one tarn, one swamp, one academy, four C. Look at that. So I think there's a good case to be made that tarn should be a vista. Now there's yeah, only absolutely. two targets to get it there, so there's still a case that the 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 other fetch is better because you got four C's. But suppose, but, yeah, but
0: but what if one of those C's is another basic? Exactly. Yeah.
1: Especially then
0: you're right in the scenario that we were in, basically. Yeah.
1: I I think that I think there's a really good case, and I mean, yeah. And also, Reliance, there's even a marginal argument that if you're concerned about, like, sorcerer Spyglass, that you should just be running Vista over a Delta anyway. Just mm-hmm. to, you know, not yeah. have yourself completely boned when your opponent plays turn one Spyglass, <laughs> so.
0: Well, so it's difficult to quantify, and I think the format doesn't favor it at the moment in terms of high quantities, right? But it's a definitely a playable card. It's going to come up... In the long term, this is probably going to be a double-digit card Agreed. with reliability. I, I,
1: I didn't think so at first blush, but this analysis yeah. has led me to. I mean, the combination of being in uh, two color decks like TPS DPS, like uh, blue red or blue white, which those decks exist, and this having yeah. actually being better than like the X number third or fourth fetch off color fetch. Mm-hmm. and then also have being able to use this to fetch a waste, which we've never had before, I just don't see how this right. doesn't appear in top eights. So it might be a single digit in the near term, but it's got to appear. just has to. There's no way it doesn't. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I agree completely. So it's really hard to quantify. Again, we've said that over and over again, but I think it's depressed right now for all the reasons you just stated. I still think it'll make appearances. I'm inclined to go with a you know, five to 10 number, as you said. I. I think, hmm, there's so many com, com, complicating factors here. There's the introduction of the Oath into archetypes like Rug Xerox, which could promote additional basic forests in Rug Xerox, right? Potentially. Yes. There's the introduction of Force of Vigor, which promotes additional green cards into archetypes. Rug Xerox might not be able to mate that threshold. Might might not. Uh, but decks like Bug and Bug R could become more popular. In a, in a four-color deck, this obviously this card need not apply. But... If Bug becomes more popular, I could see versions of Bug that want a copy of this, maybe um that those decks don't usually want to fetch a swamp though within reason, so I just think the homes for this right now are, are depressed, and which suggests to me that it's a half dozen approximately so i'm I'm open to being wrong here, but I'm gonna go with six for now, uh, but that's, that's super speculative.
1: God, I think that's a great estimate. That's a really keen estimate. You've made some excellent points. I think your analysis is strong. I think your conclusion is really strong and well founded. I'm uh, I'm inclined to take the over. I think uh, I think my analysis of the two color decks has pushed me a little bit further than I expected. Okay. Um, I'm gonna take. I'll just shh, I'm gonna go seven. I'm really <laughs> courageous there. But <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice. I do think that this is one of those cards we've said it a million times before. That the exact numbers will be subject to the whims of players in the format if certain top level players really like this card they're going to put some energy into it right there's so many cards to put energy into in this set and still with war and with the mulligan that the attention for any one card is going to be diluted yeah but i just so i'm comfortable with our estimates and then if we're way off then we'll see what the the complicating factors were
1: all right sounds great what a great set really great set this is this is, I mean, this period of time in Vintage is another hinge point. I mean, the combination of yeah. War... I, I mean, War is a little bit daunting as a set. It's a great set, but it's a little bit frustrating because it's so reminiscent of Worldwake. But this set, this set is shenanigans. <laughs> it should have been named shenanigans. <laughs> after <it's->
0: Nice. <laughs> That's totally true. Uh, so just to review the cards we predicted, for Collector Oaf it was 12 to 15. For Urza, Lord High Artificer, it was 1 to 2. Force of Negation, 10 to 15. Shenanigans, 2 to 3. Force of vigor twenty to twenty four. That's our uh, highest predictor for the set. Force of vigor for uh, for Hogak it was zero to one. For Renin six four point five to six. <laughs> for the Horizon land cycles, we didn't actually pin me down on which particular land that we thought it was going to be. But zero to one. I'm not going to pin myself down. No, I mean, that's it's ridiculous. Probably a fiery islet. Yeah. But who cares? Uh, and then for Prismatic Vista, it's six to seven. You know, I want to. That's a lot of cards. I, I
1: think I'm going to go zero on Urza actually. I just don't see. All I right. just think that the the game right now is too too, too uh, things are too muddled. So I'm gonna take myself off the board <laughs> on Urza.
0: All right, I'll stay on too, just because I don't want to be revisionist in the face of your <laughs> update. But that's reasonable. All right, what an exciting set! Truly. Thank you for listening to episode 91 of So Many Insane Plays. You can tweet us at Many Insane Plays or email us at So Many Insane Plays Podcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed our show, please be sure to rate us on iTunes so that other Magic players can find our show. As always, and until next time, we wish you many insane plays.